The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcast, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcast, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we're reviewing nights three through five of the G1 Climax 30, answering your questions and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pros and Tees store, prosandtees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official keeping it strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, who is best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineer tools for your family jewels. They obsess over the technology development to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUPLEX at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SUPLEX. And of course, make sure you check out the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and custom layouts, shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? Let me tell you right here. Let's get ready. Here we go. Oh yeah. What what you popping Cracked into? Open. Oh, don't worry about that. That don't worry about what what, what I'm popping into. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it is a privilege and an honor to uh, be here once again uh, by your side. Um, you know, doing the Ace of Podcast, man. The 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 longest running episodic New Japan yes. podcast on the internet. Yes, the longest running weekly episodic New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast. We are closing in in about a few months. We'll hit our three-year anniversary, uh, beginning of December. So that's right around the corner, man. Yeah, and uh, heading into spooky season, uh, it's starting to get a little bit darker earlier. I'm liking it, man. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, we, talk, we call ourselves the ace of podcasts. I just want to talk about this real quick. There is a, a new podcast <laughs> on our network, the uh, the Grave Consequences podcast, hosted by Caleb Baldwin and Maserati, who have been falsely 
claiming themselves as the ace of podcasts. But let me make something clear. We did not just, you know, do a podcast and start calling ourselves the ace of podcasts. We were gifted. We were knighted with the ace of podcast nickname by Rocky Romero in New Orleans in 2018 WrestleMania weekend. He gave us that nickname, the ace of podcasts. We didn't just come out here and, you know, give ourselves a nickname. So, grave consequences. Yeah. You got you to gotta step it up, man. You know that's not true though. We actually literally just started a podcast and started calling ourselves the Ace of Podcast. No, Rocky called us the Ace of Podcast before we before we ever did. No, he didn't, bro. We already that was that's been our tagline since day one. Do you no, not remember? No, it hasn't, dude. I'm, yes, it has. Dude, I'm pretty sure that started after Rocky. No, the reason Rocky said Ace of Podcasts is because I told him our nickname is the Ace of Podcasts. Dude, this whole time I thought Rocky came up with it. Bro, you have a bad memory. We literally started a podcast, and our nickname was the Ace of Podcasts. Well, regardless, Rocky confirmed that we are <laughs> the Ace of Podcasts, not the Grave Consequences Podcast. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, to be honest, um, I think that there was like a few other podcasts, and they were all like, trying to spoof the king of sports logo and verbiage uh, around their podcast. And it wasn't just one, although there's, you know, a couple, there's probably like three at the time. And I, they're actually, none of them are going anymore, which is kind of funny. And I was like, you know what? Fuck being the king. We're the ace. And that's how we came. That's how we came up with the nickname for real. Yeah. But I don't remember that having the nickname right from the jump though. Bro, go listen to episode one. You, we we called ourselves the Ace of Podcast from the jump, and All we right. were correct. Well, yeah, ahead. That's ahead. one thing. On Social <laughs> Suplex, we are always ahead. <laughs> All right, man. So we got lots to talk about here. We've got uh, three nights of G1 to dive into. Uh, but first thing, I uh, want to cover a question here from Reddit user Viking Pain. says, how are you guys liking the clap crowd? I think the crowd's on... Nights one, two, and five have been great. Nights three and four, not so much. So we had nights three and four that were in um, Sapporo, Hokkaido. Um, you know, they were supposed to do that Hokkaido tour in July. Didn't happen because of COVID, but they're back here in Hokkaido, hometown of Taichi. And then on night five, they were in Kobe, Kobe World uh, Arena there, home of uh, Dragon Gate. Those are big Kobe World shows there. Um, and so that crowd was definitely a lot better, but the Hokkaido crowd, man, they were they were quiet. I I would agree. I thought uh, one, two, and five were all really good crowds. They were in larger buildings, um, more traditionally, you know, um, praised as being great crowds. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, nights three and four, small arenas, you know, less re- wrestling centric uh, areas of the country. Um, yeah, I mean, we could go into depth about. The clapping versus the, uh, you know, the chanting and everything like that. But I think we've kind of exhausted that subject. But as far as just observing how the crowds have been night after night, one, two, and five literally were fantastic crowds. And three and four, I would say not as much. Although, one thing I noticed, nights three and four, they were... um, inconsistent there were some matches that i expected to have a lot of heat and they just didn't and then there was other night or other matches on those same nights that actually had like decent crowd reaction so it was kind of interesting 
Yeah, absolutely agree with you there. Um, yeah, the Osaka crowds on night one, two, our man PCN91 was out there night one. Uh, those crowds were great. Uh, the Kobe crowd on night five was great as well, really getting into it with the claps. But, yeah, for whatever reason, like you mentioned, uh, three and four, like, there's some matches you think that they would be clapping little, their little hearts out to, and this, the energy just wasn't the same. Yeah. So uh, Agreed. so let's move on here let's talk about the young lions real quick before we jump into um a block and b block so young lions in the quote-unquote unofficial c block so on night three we had gabriel kid defeating yoyomora on night four we had yota suji defeating yoyomora and then on night five gabriel kid defeated yota suji any thoughts on uh young lions well, uh, we had an interesting development here as Gabriel Kidd picked up his first win in New Japan in singles competition on night three and then uh, repeated that uh, success on night five. So he got himself tied up with the other two. Uh, Suji overcoming a previous tour defeat to Yuya Yamura. We now stand with uh, all these guys pretty much having equal standings at this point, right? Yeah, I'm not. I didn't. I don't have the the score mapped out here. How many points these guys would have? But I, I think it's pre, it's been pretty much even for the most part. Yeah. Um, as far as matches that impressed me, I know it's easy to kind of overlook these because of the nature of Young Lions matches and everything of that nature. But for some reason, Night Five, Gabriel Kid and Yoda Suji. Not to say that the other matches weren't good, but for some reason, Night Five really stuck out to me as being a fantastic. Uh, you know, just exhibition and grappling match. Uh, they really told a great story in there in a limited amount of time. I, I thought that uh, Suji and Kid really improved upon their uh, earlier matches that they've had with one another. Definitely. There was a, a lot of intensity and fire there. And I think it's the best that uh, Gabriel Kidd has looked between here night three and five. I thought uh, he looked really good here. Uh, kind of debuting this uh, double arm suplex for his uh, finish. You know, Going back to his kind of UK roots, there were some post-match promos talking about, you know, kind of going back to some of those UK influences, and that's where the, the double arm suplex came from. One thing I like to say, I've been following along with the post-match interviews a lot uh, during this tour. Gabriel Kidd, decent talker, but dude, he needs to get to the point. <laughs> these other, these other like young lions, Yuyamura and Suji, they'll come out, they'll say a couple things, they'll be like, you know, I lost. But uh, I'm a true warrior. I'm going to pick myself up. You're going to see. I'm going to show you my fighting spirit. I'm not done. That's it. Like, that's the whole promo. Like, you know, Gabriel could have come out there, make some good points, but he'll reiterate them over and over and over again. He's spending more time on the mic than, like, a lot of the G1 competitors. And I'm like, <laughs> holy crap, dude. Like, say say your piece and move on. Like, you know. Uh, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take, like, take advantage of this mic time. <laughs> yeah, bro. Uh, <laughs> night five, he like cut this pretty decent promo talking about how like he's been in the business for 10 years and he's accomplished more than Suji or Yumura could ever imagine. And, you know, that they're privileged to have started their career in the best wrestling company in the world. And he had to scrap and claw his entire career to get here and had no money in his you know, bank account while these guys were, you know, basically, you know, living it up in the dojo, you know, um, and talking about how he's been champion around the world in Canada and in the UK. And these guys have never held any championships. And so, you know, they need to stop putting, they need to start putting some respect on his name. 
it doesn't take three minutes to say that or four or five minutes to, to say that. Like, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> and like, I, I gave you the condensed version of what he said, like, but it took forever to get there. That's the one thing. Um, not that this company is really known for their promos, but Gabriel Kidman, if you're going to be cutting these promos during the G1, like shorten them up, add some fires and intensity. <laughs> let's, let's, let's get it. Come on. Uh, so we had a few questions here about these young lions. So first from Reddit user, that was five stars. What do you think of Gabriel Kidd's new finisher now leading to several victories? And out of the prestigious, the prestigious C block, who was impressing you the most? Because also I missed Narita. I wonder if he's still in LA or is he in Japan during this pandemic? We don't know about Narita. He is probably my favorite young lion of the last few years. So I'm right there with you. Um, as far as him using the um, double arm suplex, I mean, hey, it was Andre's finish. You can't get much better than the eighth <laughs> wonder of the world. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm digging the double arm suplex finish, especially on a guy like the size of uh, Yota Suji. He's doing, pulling that move off. I, I think it, it works, especially in a, a young lion kind of sense. So, really like that. And as far as who's impressing me the most, I think Gabriel Kidd, I feel like, has been the most impressive out of the three thus far. No, it's got to be for me. It's got to be Yuya Yamura. He just, um, in in his short, you know, career, he I think is beyond both of these guys uh, in so, so many aspects of of wrestling. Um, now, granted, there is a particular style of match that these guys wrestle. It is very different from what you see, you know, all throughout New Japan and the variety of styles that they showcase. But for what they are doing i think you is by far the best guy yeah and i'm just not the, you know i'm not hating on you more at all you is awesome but for whatever reason kid was a guy that i wasn't really impressed with when he first came in and so i feel like he's really kind of turned it up i i have been i i even especially remember him having a very good match with jay white when uh he first came in so yeah i i think all three guys are great um yeah, they're awesome but yeah so uh, next question here from Highest Fly Flow. He says, what are your C-block prediction? Who's going home with the gold thumb this year? I would probably just guess Suji based off the fact that he's the leader of the class. But, uh, I mean, it doesn't – does it matter? I mean, kind <laughs> of, but not really. It's it's more about what they're gaining and learning and the exposure they're you know obtaining during this whole you know period. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's either going to be, I would say it's either going to be Suji or Kid. And Suji, like you mentioned, he is like the lead of the New Japan Dojo. And then I would say Gabriel Kid, just because we've seen in this LA Dojo, New Japan Dojo rivalry, the LA Dojo usually kind of gets the upper hand here. So you could end up with, you know, Gabriel Kid kind of winning and getting the bragging rights there. But I don't know, it'll, pro- it'll probably go yeah. to Suji. Yeah, but I don't see him strapping the rocket to him like our main man Carl, so it's a little different, you know what I'm saying? Different. Uh, and the last question here on the Young Lions, this is, this is one's a, a doozy, so sit back, all right? This is from our boy Kevin from D.C. He says, it might be too late to do this, but check this series out. It's the last day of the G1, and each of the Young Lions are on equal points. They randomly have a three-way Young Lion opener with absolutely no explanation given to the audience or commentators. Kid, Yumora, and Tsuji somehow lock in a three-way Boston Crab, probably with all of them on their side. It looks vaguely sexual, but we'll ignore that part. <laughs> they all submit at the same time, and the ref has no choice but to call it a no contest, and the three warriors, yes warriors, embrace and share the C-Block trophy, which is, of course, a miniature thumbs up. 
My question is, what kind of drugs am I on? Them good drugs. That's what you was on. <laughs> Actually, I got to tell you, uh, from my brief experience with uh, the narcotics, I got to tell you, um, I believe that you're high on life is what you're high on because only a clear, sober, vigilant mind could, uh, you know, see this far into the future. This is definitely in the head sort of uh, prediction here, and I, I totally endorse it. Um, I think this is a likelihood, and I think you uh, you nailed it here. So, are, are you saying that Kevin stays vigilant? He is staying vigilant for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my the the one thing I'd like to add here is I believe that this would actually be the uh, the beginning of them um, challenging for the never open weight six man tag team titles, and then we will be seeing Gabriel Kidd hit his. Uh, new finisher on um, Yoshihashi and getting that bum off of the gold. <laughs> that would be like the most Yoshihashi thing that <laughs> to happen. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So no, this would be the most Yoshihashi thing to happen. They booked the match. Obviously the young lions are not supposed to win. They do the spot where it's going to be Gabriel kid. Who's taking the fall. He's the one who's like, let me in, let me in gets in. He's going through his shit. You know, he's hitting near fall, near fall, near fall. And you know Yoshihashi's just going to, you know, put in the butterfly lock. But then they give Gabriel Kidd a chance to to nail his uh, double underarm, double underarms, under, underarm suplex. And it legitimately knocks out Yoshihashi. <laughs> uh, Red Shoe's not being aware that the man is incapacitated, goes and counts the three as a shoot because this bum Yoshihashi didn't tuck his chin in and he was you know knocked cold knocked silly knocked loopy and uh, gabriel kidd is now you know one third of the never open way six man <laughs> tag team champions that would be the most yoshiashi <laughs> thing to ever happen oh my gosh that would be hilarious um so all right let's move on here to the block action here so we're gonna go through a block and b block here we're gonna um, talk about each of the guys here in uh the ranking order talk about the matches they've had and kind of where they're at and kind of, you know, how we think they're doing. So let's start at the A block. We'll start at the top here with Switchblade Jay White, who currently has six points. Uh, so he's 3-0. and oh. So on his first matchup here on night three, he defeated Kota Ibushi. And then on night five, he defeated Kazuchika Okada. So young boy, thoughts on Jay White and his two matchups? I, you know, it's great that we're starting with Jay. I don't know why we are because Tai Chi's got the same amount of points as him. So, I mean, it is arguable Tai Chi's at the lead of this pack, but uh, I digress. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Jay White, man, um, you know, there are people who are always going to hate on him, and some of that is definitely earned. But you would have to be hard-pressed to say that this guy isn't having a fantastic tournament. I mean, um, three matches in, three really great performances. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, I liked both of these matches. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they were the best of the tournament by any means. But, um, like, Jay is coming across as a star and as a very... uh, you know, capable person of winning the tournament. Like he kind of looks like a, he's definitely a front runner at this point. And it's uh, interesting if you kind of uh, compare it to the tournament he had last year where he went 0-3, 3 
through the first three nights of the mat uh, of the tournament where he was bested by former chaos members that he turned his back on. Um, this year it's kind of different, you know, uh, the second and third match he's facing, uh, two of his more recent mainstream, uh, opponents in Kota Ibushi and, and Kazushika Okada headlined big shows with both of them in the past. And he beat both of them pretty soundly. Of course there was some shenanigans, but overall I think Jay White is having a really good tournament. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's having a really great tournament and I think he's just demonstrating, you know, how much better he is in that kind of heel bull club leader role than evil was, um, you know, kind of some of the same tactics with, you know, ref bumps and Gato being interfered. Um, but it's just a, a big difference kind of between both their styles. I would agree with that. And I think that that's always kind of been, you know, it's the easiest uh, comparison you would have because you're talking about two supposed leaders of the same faction, you know, running at the same time. So the comparisons are obviously going to be there. So it's not just strictly Watanabe. Hey, it's, it, it is an apt analysis. On the flip side of things, though, you know, I would say, and I know not everyone would agree with this, but after last year's uh, G1, Jay White didn't really have a hot year. On, I mean, he had a series of matches with Naito. He had some matches with Goto. He had the match with Bushi, um, some stuff like that. And I wasn't impressed by any of it at all. Like, I really thought the guy was kind of just fucking off, honestly. And he sort of returned to form what we know he can do here in this tournament. Um, he hasn't exceeded my expectations, but uh, he's definitely living up to what we know he's capable of. And uh, I think he's capable of more. I don't think we're seeing the best of him here, but uh, really good tournament from Jay White. Uh, two solid matches. Uh, I thought the Kota Bushi Jay White match was better than the Okada match, but um, it is surprising. I mean, you could have easily said that this guy could be in this position, but it wasn't necessarily like the odds on, you know, um, you know, from a, from a statistical standpoint, what you would expect, but here we are, you know, five days in and Jay white is sitting undefeated with six points and he's already beaten. Uh, who did he beat on the first time? I'm trying to remember Shingo. Yeah, man, Shingo, Ibushi and Okada who all have to be looked at as major contenders and players. So, not only has he got the points, but he's also got huge tiebreaker wins. That puts him in a a really commanding lead, honestly. Yeah, he's in a great position right now. And I agree with you. I did um, like the Kota Ibushi match better than the Okada match. Um, the Ibushi match, you know, Jay was working over Ibushi's uh, right leg. It's very interesting. Normally, you know, the left side of the body is the one you target. But, yeah, working over the right leg there, I thought Ibushi did a great job selling in that match. And, um, Jay was just so charismatic and just antagonizing you know, the clap crowd, trying to get them to chant for Ibushi. He's like, no, no, say it, say it. And they would always you know, start clapping, and he was just you know, getting on their nerves. And so I, I love the way he was kind of working the crowd, even though the crowd couldn't really verbally respond. Um, I just thought he, he came off so well in that Ibushi match. Yeah, he is um, you know, definitely antagonizing the crowd, telling them to stop clapping with the chants that they would typically chant. But actually you know, challenging them to break the rules and chant, which is a, a very heelish thing to do. Uh, the other thing is, you know, he will mock their clapping by, you know, starting a clap and then clapping off beat to, to basically kill it. Yeah. <laughs> um, or even just doing mocking little chants. And then uh, both nights when he won, 
they were at the end of shows and he's been able to grab the mic and, um, you know, do a thing where he forces the polite Japanese audiences to clap for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Jay, Jay White is figuring out, I don't, I don't think they're like mind blowing in what he's doing, but I mean, it's the closest thing you're probably going to get to heat in this sort of environment, which is pretty ingenious. Yeah. The, the Okada match um, was kind of a letdown based off of their uh, two previous matches they had at uh, G1 Supercard and Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, I mean, overall, I went three and a half on that match, but for the main event of a G1 show and being these two guys, that was kind of a disappointment for me. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to go back to their first initial meeting in the G1 two years ago to uh, kind of compare from a... Um, performance standpoint but i i this wasn't a bad match it was good but i i do think it's their weakest performing match so far of their series uh it was surprising jay white got the win here okada just so committed to that money clip finisher uh shout out to chris samsa he threw out a stat on twitter that i thought was very interesting saying you know jay white hasn't submitted since 2016 since before he came back you know, from excursion. And so the chances that with Okada being so dedicated to that move, what were the chances he's actually going to put Jay White out, you know, conversely, nobody kicks out of the, uh, blade runner. So once he threw that stat out, I was like, Oh, Jay's gonna beat Okada. I don't see him tapping out. And I think that that's one of the things you got to think about when you're looking at Okada's, uh, tournament It's like who, who can he tap out and who can't he tap out? Um, I think Jay White is one of those few guys. He probably literally will not be tapping out at this point in the game. So, Right, yeah, and that was a great stat there and a great point and a great kind of story element to kind of add into this match with Okada obviously trying to go for that uh, money clip. And at one point in the match, we saw, you know, Jay trying to kind of, you know, goat Okada into using the Rainmaker. Um, he attempted to use the Rainmaker. Uh, Gato on the, on the outside calling for it, Rainmaker, Rainmaker, hit him with the Rainmaker. <laughs> And so you know, trying to do that and kind of, you know, antagonize Okada to use that. But Okada, you know, for whatever reason, sticking to the, the money clip game plan, which backfired here, ate a blade runner and got defeated. Yeah, uh, if I were to, I, well, I guess we, we'll save grades for later on in the tournament. But uh, yeah, doing very well. Any final thoughts? Uh, uh, final thoughts, I would say that, uh, you know, I think Jay's having a great tournament so far. Um, some good performances. He's on top of the block and... Looking forward to see what's coming next for him. All right, let's move on to. Uh, well, hold on. Before we uh, move on, we got two questions here. Uh, oh, first you're right. from, I apologize. Uh, no parties. Uh, so uh, first we have from Reddit user Rizo Tamaki says, "Why does Gato cheating for Jay feel so much different than when Togo cheats for Evil? Is it because Jay did it first? I honestly think it has to do with uh, placement in the match. The um maybe the chemistry of of them how they're involved with it uh typically speaking with the evil togo thing it's like it's coming at the end of a match where evil is not getting as much in the match as jay white is or showing himself to be as capable as jay white and so you kind of get that feeling that evil is done for and then they cheat they bump the ref you get that what the, the garrote is that what it's called the garrote wire yeah the garrote wire and everything of that nature uh it's 
I don't think that there is effective using utilizing the outside interference, and it feels a little more heavy-handed than what we're getting with Gato and Jay White. Although there was a time where it was very similar with Jay White and Gato, but Jay White has really, you know, um, raised his stock over the years here in the company to the point where he doesn't need to rely on that so much. Although it's always going to be there, it's not his matches have those elements, but they're not solely filled with that sort of thing. Also, I think that they change up what Gato's um, interferences are quite a bit, match over match, story over story. Whereas with Evil and, and Dick Togo, you're getting basically wash, rinse, and repeat every single match the same thing. Right. With Evil and Togo, it's almost like it's a house show match where it's like it's a kind of the same kind of finish that you would do night and night and night in a different town kind of thing. Um and I that, feel, you know, you know, I agree with that. That's a, that's a good comparison. And then also with Jay, I feel like now he's kind of gotten to the point where it's almost in, in in a Finn Balor AJ Styles way where you know they're they're really good wrestlers, but the heat is they cheat, and it's like why are you cheating when you're you're good? Like you see the Jay White's in ring work, and you see like he's so methodical, and he can kind of eat people up in matches, but then he still kind of resorts to cheating. Yeah, agreed. Um, next question from Howard Schilling. He said, when did Jay White become one of the best all-around heels in New Japan, let alone pro wrestling in general? Um, I mean, I feel like Jay's always kind of been a great heel when it comes to his... Yeah, I mean... Oh, Go ahead. Yeah, I would agree. I'm sorry, the, the our connection is uh, cracking up a little bit. Um, I would agree with that. I mean, if you think about over the past, let's say, two or three years... Some of the best like heels in in wrestling in general. I mean, you got MJF, you got Cody when he was on his run, you got uh, Chiampa, and I kind of feel like Jay White has been with them over the past two years. Period. Even when he really was unproven as an in ring worker, he, the stories that he was telling from day one, from the moment he got back from excursion. Um, really, like, lent itself to being like he's the big bad in New Japan. He just, he really was. I mean, who else could you, like, point to as being, like, the top heel from the moment, like, from the moment he was in the company? Who else kind of stands out as a monster, you know, as, as the top heel in the company? I can't think of anybody, really. Right. I mean, I'm trying to think even before, like, Jay kind of came in, who... Like, who would you consider the top heel? I mean... Kenny. Yeah, I mean, Kenny was a heel, but then kind of towards the end of that run, kind of went babyface. Right, Kenny went babyface, and that was pretty much like... And then aside from that, like, you kind of were in a conundrum where you needed another top heel, someone for these guys to work with. I mean, you always had Suzuki, but he's sort of like, you know, a chaotic evil, um, and he's not... His, his group's not slotted to be, you know, the, the top bad guys. I mean, I guess you could have said Cody there for a little while, um, but he never really felt like that in New Japan too much to me. So, yeah, I mean, Jay White has been bad guy for over two years in New Japan. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Jay, Jay has been, been doing great. And, yeah, definitely, you know, top heel in New Japan. So uh, let's move on now to the uh, 
Next guy here on the rankings, Taichi, also with six points, three wins, zero losses on night three. Taichi defeated Minoru Suzuki, and then on night five, he defeated Tokyo Pimp, Yujiro Takahashi. Yeah, when it comes to Taichi, he, in my opinion, is over, is overachieving uh, as far as in-ring performance, as far as, obviously, his placement uh, in the point totals. I mean, 6-0. and um, this is a guy that a couple years ago couldn't even get into the G1, and now it would seem criminal to exclude him at this point. The uh, the Ujiro win is not surprising. I mean, it is one of those losses where it's like he could have taken it easily. That's fine. It really wouldn't have mattered too much. But given where they're at as far as the uh, hierarchy of New Japan, it, it makes sense why he dispatched Ujiro you know, so, so easily. The real surprise here, and the interesting match, and if you haven't seen it, I would really challenge you to go back and watch it, is the Minoru Suzuki match as well as his his defeat of Minoru Suzuki. Um, this felt very important in the long run to me, and, and that's not just conjecture. I know we've talked about people having theories about, you know, Suzuki goon and you know its leadership and an internal struggle and things of that nature and I I'm not saying that that's exactly where they're going but Taichi beating Minoru Suzuki beating him clean and then once he beat him the looks that they were giving to one another as the match ended and then the post-match promos this felt like uh I'm not saying it'll take shape immediately but long term this felt like actually a very important seminal match in Taichi's career and maybe in the overall you know, hierarchy of Suzuki. Right. And I feel like this is like the first really kind of true moment where they're starting to plant the seeds of a potential, uh, Tai Chi takeover. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting post-match, you know, Tai Chi was staring at the iron claw, um, took out the back stare at it, put it back in. So kind of wondering if he thought about, you know, maybe hitting Suzuki with that and, you know, overthrowing him right then and there. That's a good insight. One, the, the thing that stood out for me was the look as he draped himself over the ropes, staring at the entrance as they kind of uh, carried uh, Suzuki out. And typically, Suzuki doesn't allow young lines to assist him on his way out. He usually like throws them off, beats them up, gets his heat back, and then kind of um, you know walks tall as he he goes out. And if I if my memory serves me correctly it seemed that he was actually still getting assisted the whole way out. And Taichi seemed to take note of that because he had this shit-eating grin on his face. Like, it dawned on him, like, oh, I just beat Suzuki. And in the post-match promo, he talked about boss. What does boss mean? I just beat him. Right. He's like, I'm the, I'm, I was the best on this day. Like, I don't care who the boss is. <laughs> yeah. So, very interesting. That look, the look he was giving Suzuki as he walked down the aisle and you know, assisted said something to me. Now this might just be a breadcrumb, but, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, but overall, dude, you know, people can talk shit about Tai Chi all they want and sometimes it's deserved, but I, I think that he's been performing really well. I thought he performed well with Jeff Cobb. I thought the Minoru Suzuki match was very good. It was very different from a lot of the other matches uh, in the tournament stylistically and the surprise ending when he beat Suzuki clean. And then um, 
when he beat Ujiro, he beat Ujiro with like a secondary move. It wasn't even he beat him with a a low blow in the Gato Clutch, which usually like is a good near fall move on most you know uh, you know top end guys, but it's not something he usually beats people with. But he beat Ujiro with that, um, which kind of just shows you how they see Ujiro and how they see Taiji. Right. Yeah, that Suzuki match, you know, kind of a wild, kind of crazy plunder brawl of them kind of brawling all on the outside, um, using chairs and all kind of weapons in there. And then eventually, when they got back in the ring, they kind of turned it up and you know, a lot of great back and forth there. Taiji hitting the axe, Bumba. Um, and then eventually uh, reversing the Gotch Paw Driver into Black Mephisto, which was kind of a great um, closing sequence there. Yeah, the, the last five minutes of the match, uh, the plunder stuff, I dug it. I got it. I, I liked it a lot because it, that's the Suzuki Goon way. Mm-hmm. But the last five minutes where they were just going toe to toe and Tai Chi was murdering Suzuki with mid kicks was really cool. Yeah, so that was a cool uh, spot. I yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because, you know, Tai Chi, he's not a dojo guy. He came up under Kawada. He, he came up through the grimy, uh, you know, Japanese independence, that sort of thing. And so he almost is sort of like an extension of, you know, King's Road style as opposed to strong style. And you kind of see that when he's faced off with a real strong style opponent like Suzuki, who also kind of serves as a representation of the shoot style, you know, off branch of, of New Japan. So there, there's also a stylistic uh, difference there. I, I, I like the match a lot. There's some people who I've seen ask whether they should watch this match or not. Was it worth it? And I've seen some people kind of like hand wave it, blow it off. And I'm like, dude, three and a half, 12 minute match. Really, really good. Plus it's very important for the story. Yeah. I also went three and a half on it. Yeah, it's only 12 minutes um, in and out. Like I mentioned part of the whole, you know, Suzuki gun, you know, potential Tai Chi takeover story. Yeah. Just it was, like you mentioned, totally different with the whole, the plunder and all that stuff. So yeah, really enjoyed it. So let's uh, move on to the next competitor. The oh, I'm sorry, not Ariel. The assassin, <laughs> Will Osprey, who is sitting at four points with two wins and one loss. Yeah. So on night three, he defeated the Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii, and then on night five, he was defeated by the Dragon Chingo Takagi. Both these matches were awesome. I loved both these matches. Um, I, I thought the Ishii match was hurt by the um, Kaido crowd. They weren't um, as into that type of match that you think they would be, just kind of kind of low energy there. But they, they wrestled their hearts out and were just really going back and forth. I love the spot towards the end there where Osprey is going for the Stormbreaker and he couldn't get it, so he just drops Ishii down. It's like a pile driver motion, um, killed him with that. Uh, that was great, and just, you know, Osprey kind of coming out here with this kind of, you know, kind of cocky attitude and, you know, trying to shake everybody's hand before the match and kind of having this, you know, kind of shit-eating grin on his face, and especially in this Ishii match, you know, really kind of trying Ishii and kind of slapping him in the face and patting him on the head and really uh, forcing Ishii to kind of come at him. So, um, hot take, I thought that one of these matches was incredible, and I thought one of these matches was good. So, which um, so I, I'm not as big a fan of the Tomohiro Ishii and uh, Will Ospreay matches as everybody else is. Now, still a good match, but um, I didn't – and don't get me wrong. I think that these guys have all 
the tools necessary to have a classic uh, if called upon and, you know, if, if needed. And I don't disagree with you. I noticed funny thing. Um, they were in Taichi's hometown, right? Right. So the Taichi Suzuki match crowd was super hot for it. The Will Ospreay uh, Ishii match, the crowd was dead for it, like almost more dead than any other match of the night, which is surprising because I know a lot of people had this as their match of the night. I, I don't know, man. I didn't, like the structure of the match so much to be honest um i know it was an 18 minute match and it felt like they were trying to work a semi main event style match but you know at 18 minutes so they kind of like built up to the big spots in the final few moments um i thought there was some really good stuff in here like some really awesome strike exchanges some of that taunting that you mentioned but it really didn't pick up for me until the last few minutes and i Given who it is, Osprey and Ishii, the talent involved, this is one of my most anticipated matches of the tournament. I think it severely underperformed. Severely. So where are you at out with Snowflakes? I don't know, four? Wow. And that's not, uh, you know, it's it sounds bratty or, you know, shitty to complain about a four-star match. Four is great. You know, any anything over four is a great match. So I'm not saying that it wasn't good. It's It's very good. Go watch it, check it out. But um, I do think the crowd brought it down, and I think the structure of the match really brought it down for me. These guys didn't really exert themselves uh, until the end of the match, and I feel like part of it is because there is a little secret. Osprey can have great matches with anybody, but he has to have his style match. Mm-hmm. Will Osprey can, from time to time, you know, work. We've seen him work some other styles with guys like Zack Sabre and things of that nature, but for the most part, he's going to have his structure and style of match, and you can't he can't have that with the Ishii. So there needed to be more versatility, and there wasn't here, honestly. They kind of just, uh, I don't know. I, I just would have assumed, given Osprey and, and Ishii, that we were going to see like a Kenny Omega Ishii style match, and it was far from that, very, very far from it. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely feel like there is a, a better match in them. That being said, I, I did go four and a half on the match. Um, I definitely, yeah, the crowd was kind of a bummer, but I just thought the work was so good, and I was really digging a lot of the spots they were doing in the match. Um, but yeah, that, this is my take on it. For a comparison, I've seen a lot of people go like four, four and a quarter on, say, like Ishii and Nagata this year. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry, like Suzuki and... Uh, Nagata and that match kills this match so that's kind of some of my reasoning as well if you if if you think of it in those terms like there's no way that this match is better than those matches gotcha but, but I think, uh I think we're on the same page on the Osprey Shingo match I loved it uh I think it it just happened a few days ago so it's almost like it, it's hard for people to kind of digest middle of the tournament matches sometimes um you kind of wonder if, if, if a match is going to get its fair shake when it's on day five or day seven or whatever in the middle of a tournament. But given the principles involved, you knew that this was most likely going to be really great. I sort of anticipated them not having so great of a match for some reason, but I was sorely mistaken and I was so glad to be because this match was just incredible on and that Sunday morning show what was at night five, day five. Yeah. 
incredible show top to bottom. But um, this one, I feel like it's so tough because there's two really great matches on that night. But uh, I mean, like I'm near five stars. I think I went four and three quarters on this. Um, one of the here's here's one thing I'll say and I'll, I'll throw it over to you. One of the very lazy takes that someone could have is they could say it was very good, but because these guys are heavyweights, it was clearly not as fast or not as quick as the previous Super Juniors match they had. My hot take on it is that it's mind-blowing to me that with less time and more weight on their frames, these guys had nearly as good of and as quick of a match as they had the first time around. Uh, And I I actually could see how some people who maybe aren't a fan as much of the long, drawn-out epics might even enjoy this more condensed version and arguably harder-hitting match of the two. Just incredible. Yeah, this was absolutely incredible. I also went 4.75. Yes, I'm a coward. I couldn't go the full five. Uh, but yeah, this was absolutely incredible matchup. Um, there's some great callbacks to the best of the Super Junior final match. Uh, and like you mentioned, now both these guys are heavyweight. There's definitely more striking involved in this matchup. Obviously, a lot of kind of lariats, forearms, stuff like that. But also, there was still kind of that junior style, that kind of opening sequence with these guys uh, going back and forth. Um, just a lot of great stuff here. And Osprey, to me, I still feel like he's still as fast as he was. Um, or gang the muscle. Um, and yeah, just kind of a great story they told here. It's a great back and forth matchup. Uh, the coast to coast drop kick with uh, Shingo in the Tree of Woe spot was cool. Um, the reversals into that, that moment was incredible. Yeah, that was awesome. The, you know, the reversals of the Oz cutter, you know, Shingo catching Osprey on his shoulders, uh, the, the Death Valley driver off the top rope from Shingo to Osprey. I yeah when he, when they went up there I was like oh my god is he doing the last of the dragon that's what I thought too <laughs> I was like oh he's trying to kill this man <laughs> <laughs> which uh, kind of would have made sense um, this really put both guys over very strong Osprey was surging going into this match with two you know with uh, four points and he was looking to try and make it three and zero oh, um, but he ran into you know this man uh, Shingo who. You know, was ready to get his win back, and that's exactly what he did here. And uh, I can't wait to see these guys wrestle once again. Um, just really, really great, and it's a big win for you know for Shingo. I don't know where where he'll land when it's all said and done, as far as the points uh, when they shake out. But um, I mean, that could, this could lead to title shots, maybe the the Red Pro title. It also, you know gives him a lot of momentum in the rest of the tournament because Will Ospreay was a surging guy and one of the guys that's got to be a favorite. And so we've kind of seen, uh, you know, that, that that's just really great for him. Yeah, and also I love kind of, you know, the call back to the Super Junior match. Was, you know, he kind of hit that super combo, like the super Oz cutter into the, the final blade, into the Stormbreaker. And he was trying so hard with that Oz cutter. And, and towards the end, he tried hitting that super Oz cutter and it just he couldn't get that combo connected. Yeah, uh, Shingo sort of had that scouted and was, um, you know, prepared, which was really awesome. Um, I think we got some questions here. First question from Viking Payne. He said, is Osprey turning heel or is he just being a prick? 
also Taichi Goon, Ibushi Goon, or Osprey Goon. Which one is more likely to happen, and which one would you actually prefer to see? So, the first part of the question, I don't think Osprey is turning heel right now. Um, I think he's just kind of being like an overconfident kind of prick, and coming back now as a heavyweight, very confident in himself. I mean, maybe it could lead to a heel turn, but I, I think he's just kind of being very confident in himself right now. Yeah, I think he's definitely leaning into a lot of the accolades that he's been given over the past year, you know, just basically saying he's basically saying a lot of things that Kenny Omega was saying, except not with as much charm. I, I here's one thing I got to tell you. I love Will Ospreay. I don't think he's charming at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think he, he really is, uh, underneath it all. He's an awkward guy. And I kind of like, uh, uh, relate to that being someone who can be socially awkward except you know i have a keen awareness of it myself i i'm not sure if he's like keenly aware of it but like he kind of comes off as like that annoying kid in class who's like really full of himself but you you kind of know that he's like insecure underneath it all mm-hmm. and and everyone just kind of puts up with it and they're like oh that's just big bill over there you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> but i will say when i was watching this match and how great it was there was a part of me that was like, man, and there's people who will not like this, but there's other people who will. What if they had gone with Will Ospreay as the next leader of the Bullet Club as opposed to Jay White? Because mm. Will completely falls in – I mean it, it wouldn't be that much of a stretch to turn him heel. I mean – Given the promos he's cutting and, and everything like that, I don't think it's it's hard to see that at all. And I've seen him work heel – in England, especially in uh, progress, and he's excellent at it. And I'm like, dude, maybe he wasn't ready back then, but now I, I'm sort of like, you know, hindsight's 2020. I'm like, I know Jay's a great leader or whatever, but I'm like, dude, maybe Jay could have done his own thing over here with whatever, and maybe Will could have been Kenny's successor because he feels more like AJ Styles. He feels more like Prince Devitt and Will and Kenny Omega. And I could totally, like, now that I'm saying it, I'm like, dude, I could have seen that. And in fact, hey, Gato, if you're listening, maybe that's the way you should go in the future. Squash all this, you know, Kenta, Jay White, evil bullshit. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's try to make some money here. And let's put that BC logo on uh, Will Ospreay's tights. I mean, man, the man's trying to find himself out here anyways. Let's, let's attach him to uh, a money-making enterprise. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he can't, you know, just like you mentioned, yeah, just kind of that annoying kind of prick personality. And obviously people don't, don't like him in general and obviously some for good reasons. Um, and so, yeah, I think that him as a heel could definitely work out. As far as like leaders of groups, though, um, I don't know why. I have trouble seeing Ibushi as the leader of any faction for whatever reason. <laughs> I'm not sure. Ibushi, or I'm sorry, Taichi. I would like to. I would like to see Osprey lead his own group, if it's the Bullet Club. I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say here. Is like that kind of just feels like a perfect marriage to me. The tradition of their what their top guy kind of how their top guy is and what he is and everything of that nature. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, right now out of those three groups that he mentions, also I think a, a Tai Chi kind of leader group would make the most sense of what's happening right now, and like. I could potentially see Tai Chi leading a group 
Um, Bushi as a guy, I, I kind of feel will stay singles. I really don't see him in, in a faction or leading a faction, really. Um, Who knows? Maybe Abushi has the chops to uh, expand his character work and do something different that we just haven't seen. I mean, you know, neither of us really are DDT buffs. I don't, you know, it's not like we've seen his full body of work out there. Only really is New Japan stuff, if if we're being honest. So who knows? Let's move on to the next question here from our user PSA91. Do you think we see a rubber match between Shingo and Will, maybe for the Red Pro title? Also, I got the impression we're getting another match between Ibushi and Ishii based on Ishii still trying to fight Ibushi even after the loss. Well, uh, one thing I will throw out there, that's a great point, and I loved the post-match between Ibushi and Ishii. Even the post-match uh, interview where like Ishii was getting dragged out and he was just like, Ibushi, Ibushi. <laughs> and they just like still carried him through the door and that's all that happened. Um, but keep in mind, he did the exact same sell job after he lost the Never title earlier this year against Shingo. And that's another match that uh, we are going to see here in this tournament, of course. But uh, maybe we'll get the payoff to it. Maybe we won't. But he uh, did an incredible job really putting over Ibushi uh, post-match. As far as um, Shingo and Will, I mean, it's inevitable. We're going to get an, a, an, at least another match, maybe more in the future, depending on... I see both guys being in New Japan for quite a while, and I don't see any signs of either of them slowing down in the meantime. So I, I don't know if a title will be on the line per se, but I definitely see them crossing paths. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, you got you got Power Struggle coming up. You could do uh, Will defending the Red Pro title against Shingo at Power Struggle. I think that would be great. Or you can save it for down the line. But, yeah, definitely we'll see. I think we'll see another match between these guys. I, I definitely think Shingo has a date set down the road with Suzuki, but maybe when all this travel stuff gets uh, sorted out, they love LIJ over there in England, and I don't know how many trips uh, you know Shingo's been able to make for Rep Pro. So I mean that could be a huge ticket down the road for them. Yeah. Let's move on to the next guy here, the Golden Star Kota Ibushi, who has four points, two wins, and one loss. On night three, like we mentioned, he lost to Switchblade Jay White. And then on night five, in this absolutely awesome war, he defeats Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii. Well, uh, you know, one thing we didn't touch on, I know we both mentioned the uh, skill level or like the ratings of the Will Ospreay matches. Uh, It's hard to deny that Will is one of the top performers in the A block so far. But uh, talking about Kotobushi, you've got to put him right there in the same company. I mean, um, a match that was highly rated between him and Okada, probably Okada's best match of the tournament so far. Um, the match with Jay White, I don't know. Would you say that was Jay White's best match of the tournament so far? Yeah, I mean, be- between that and the Shingo match, I probably maybe lean towards the Ibushi match. Yeah, I actually, you know what? I'm sorry. I would lean towards the Shingo match personally, but it was still a strong performance. And then the match with Ishii is one of the top two or three or four <laughs> best best G1 matches of the year. And, uh, you know, you look at the time, 15 minutes, 41 seconds. It, this match felt so much longer than that. And um, Abushi coming off of a big win over Okada, we kind of last week uh, speculated that we might be seeing him get a second avenging win over Jay White. It was not to be so. He dropped down to one and one. And then... Uh, First time he's fought Ishii in two years since their fight of the year, winning 
match, you know, two years ago, and they followed up with just such an, you know, such a deserving and, and equal contender as well. Um, just incredible. I mean, Abushi, uh, I think the Jay White match definitely puts him at a disadvantage when it comes to tiebreakers, but he's got a lot of time in this tournament to turn it around. And um, you kind of look at the field, uh, some of his toughest opponents are already behind him this early in the tournament. So it, it kind of remains to be seen whether how much these matches that he's had, especially this war with Ishii, how much that's going to take out of him versus, you know, is he going to be able to go through this field of guys that he should be able to beat like Suzuki and like Jeff Cobb and, and, you know, like Yujiro. I mean, I think the, the field's wide open possibly for Ibushi to be a contender, you know, in a kayfabe sense. Definitely. And yeah, this, this, this match is just, yeah, absolutely war. These guys, uh, the strike exchanges were awesome, especially towards the beginning. You go, you know, Ishii's just kind of standing there and, you know, ab- absorbing the strikes from Ibushi. You got the, um, the, the slap exchange that they did uh, towards the rest of the match. And then also just a lot of great lariats. Um, Ibushi with drop kicks and, and, and Rana's and uh, also his knee strikes. Um, Ishii with just the incredible countering of the Kamagoye um, and using headbutts to counter that. And there was the one big headbutt he, he did to counter the Kamagoye that was awesome. The, uh, this year, my two favorite, like, strike spots in matches. One was early in the year, kind of a forgotten classic when it was, uh, Jordan Devlin versus, uh, Tyler Bate. Tyler Bate. That match was really incredible, but I feel like this one even outdid it with that strike exchange with the slaps was just unreal. Unreal. Um, I will tell you, I don't think this match was quite to the exact same level as the match they had two years ago. But, I mean, it's not far off. I mean, this was really, really, really incredible. I think we definitely have a fight of the year candidate on our hands here. Um, I want to see these guys wrestle more. It's just so crazy how um, some guys have magic when it comes to the way they wrestle against one another. And, uh, oh, I had an, I had an analogy. This is something that I was, when I was watching this, I was talking to my girlfriend. And I was like, you know, Kota Bushi is a guy who is a master of every single style of wrestling. He can do anything, whether it's aerial, whether it's comedy, whether it's strike heavy, shoot style, you know, uh, grappling, um, big main event match style, high flying juniors, like literally everything. There's nothing that he can't do. So he can have a good match with everybody. Ishii is the opposite of that entirely but almost equal where that he can't wrestle every single style with everybody. But what he can do is he can work one style of match so perfectly and so adeptly that he can make anybody in the world look like a million bucks and have a great match by just working one style. And when this, this master of all styles fights this master of one style, (laughs) they always have bangers. It's incredible. Yeah. And of course, you know, (laughs) Ishii's selling was just, once again, I always talk about it, but yeah, selling was incredible in this matchup for especially a lot of all the striking stuff that they were doing here. And like I already mentioned, the the counters of the Kamagoye, I really enjoyed. Abushi um, busting out a brain buster of his own was awesome to see. Yes. And, and you know what was interesting? I don't know if you thought about this, but it's a callback to the match that they had two years ago where um, Ishii 
busted out his own um bomb bombay yes yeah yeah and, i remember that and and he busted out his own kamagoye in the match and so we kind of saw abushi flipping the script and hitting ishii with his own finishers yeah and also i know there's the one spot you like where kind of guys block uh strikes by putting their you know crossing their arms yes um, he did that he, uh he checked the kamagoye at one point doing that also that was uh, i like that also he blocked a few, uh, a bunch of strikes. There's one sequence where he blocked a bunch of strikes like that. And it, it's it's so cr- there. This match was chock full of, you know, strike exchanges and spots, but it was a very simple story. This happened on the same night as Shingo and Osprey. Uh, I think I'm four and three quarters on this match too. Literally, like. I don't know which way I'm going as far as which one's the better match. Um, it's it's just so crazy how you can see such great performers in one company like this have such high level wrestling matches, and they're so completely different from one another. Um, this match was clearly the more violent and clearly the more strike based and. Uh, you know, almost bomb, bombastic. You know, big move centered match. Whereas the other one was like poetry in motion. It was a masterclass of wrestling. And and one thing I I, I wanted to talk, touch base on. I forgot to mention it with Shingo and and uh, Osprey. Those two guys are able to have that style match because of the years that um, Shingo spent in Dragon Gate. And there's probably no closer Dragon Gate style wrestler, even though he spent no time there. Will Osprey is so adept at that style of wrestling i mean it's no surprise given all the influencers and people that he's worked with over the years that that are masters of that style so of course it 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 makes sense but um what an incredible night of wrestling and uh yeah man abushi's there abushi's right there it's crazy yeah i think i I like the the single osprey just a little bit uh, match a little bit better than the ibushi ishii match but yeah ibushi ishii Ishii was absolute war. I can already tell right now it's, it's going to be a fight of the year uh, contender. Uh, it could potentially be up there in the top top three there. But, yeah, it was an awesome war. One thing I want to point out, uh, and, again, this just happened on Sunday. We're recording on Monday. So it's very fresh in people's minds, so it's hard to say how things are going to shake out. But I don't know what it looks like in grapple, but if you go in cage match, there is a pretty wide margin uh, – Speaking where the Abushi Ishii matches got a lot, and I wouldn't say a lot, but relatively speaking, it's got a much higher rating than the uh, Will Ospreay Shingo match does. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that ha- comes down to Will Ospreay hate or if people truly feel that way, but it is higher rated match. So on Grapple right now, the Ibushi Ishii match is an average of 4.32, and the Shingo Osprey match is an average of 4.38. And I actually think that the Grapple ratings, although I, I find them valuable, for some reason I find them to be under, like, I feel like they underrate shit a lot, a yeah. lot harder on Grapple than they do on Cage Match for some reason. Yeah, James likes to call them the, the Grapple Nazis, uh, he says you can normally add like a quarter star to a um, a half star on a lot of the matches, a lot of the final ratings on there. Well, yeah, I think that both of these matches, especially in this pandemic era, are near match of the year contenders. And you wouldn't guess that if you just looked at the ratings on Grapple. Um, but if you look on Cage Match and then you compare them to the rest of the year, 
you totally get that picture, which is one advantage. Bo- both mediums have their advantage, but that's one of the things I like about Cage Match. But uh, any any final thoughts about Abushi before we move on? So yeah, like you mentioned, I think he's in a great spot. You know, kayfabe wise, he's got a lot of his tough opponents in the rear view. Um, I think he's going to have you know some kind of quote unquote easy wins. I mean, he still has like Ujiro and stuff like that. I mean, a guy like Jeff Cobb. There's some wins that you expect him to get kind of moving forward. So I think he could potentially be in a good spot to uh, potentially be alive on the last night and maybe get spoiled by Taichi on that last night. Awesome. So let's move on to Minoru Suzuki. Um, we've already talked about the match with Taichi uh, where he was defeated. The next night he picked up a win against uh, Jeff Cobb, 9 minutes and 24 seconds. Uh, that brings him to 2-1, and one, 4 points. Um Thoughts on Suzuki? Yeah, so Suzuki's another guy. He's, he's tied with Ibushi. I think, you know, K-Fave Wives, he's um, in, in a good spot right now as well. Uh, we talked about the loss to Tai Chi. Uh, that was kind of a blow there. We also, we got, got to wonder if that's also going to lead to a, a never title match um, down the line since uh, Tai Chi got the win there. Uh, the Jeff Cobb match, under 10-minute match. I really like the grappling um, in the beginning of the match, and Suzuki, you know, trying to get him into his guard, a lot of that kind of uh, shoot-style MMA kind of style match, something you would potentially see maybe even Bloodsport. Really enjoyed that. And um, Cobb, I'm loving his rolling gut-wrench suplexes that he's been implementing. thought those look great here. Um, and the thing that I'm really loving with Suzuki in this tournament so far is just the great ways he's kind of getting into the gotcha pile driver. Um, so here in this match, um, Cobb's going for a tour of the islands. He kind of rolls through and blocks it and like kind of rolls into the sleeper and rolls right into the gotch. And it was just a great way. He didn't really stall that long. It's kind of got him up there and dropped him. Yeah. He, uh, he did that in the Ishii match. Uh, not exactly that, but from what you're mentioning, how they were in a rolling sequence that led to the gotch, same thing here. So, um, kind of changing things up. I totally agree with you as far as it comes to the grappling. There was a moment where they were on the ground, Suzuki's on his back, and Jeff Cobb passed the guard of Suzuki, and he went into half guard. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's a work, obviously, but that for a fight like, you know, grappling aficionado like me, that, like, meant something for a second. I was like, oh, my God, Jeff Cobb just passed you know, Minoru Suzuki's guard. That's crazy. <laughs> and then after that, it felt like Suzuki was like, all right, I'm going to make you pay for that. And he kind of fucked up Jeff Cobb for the, the remainder of the match. Like this was pretty one-sided. Uh, Cobb definitely had a, a short comeback at the end, but Suzuki kind of just made him his bitch, which is sort of funny. <laughs> Very different match than the one that I, we saw of them previously in uh, New Orleans, which is very strong style never style this was not quite that this was more your classic uh you know shoot style sort of match here so um the one thing i will say though i don't think that the field is wide open for suzuki the way that you mentioned uh if you look at who he's got in front of him not that he couldn't beat some of these opponents but there's no way he's going he's going to do well against all of them he's still got jay white he's still got uh okada he's still got shingo uh, he's still got Will Ospreay. I think that it's safe to say just based on the – and we kind of knew this to, to begin with, but based on where he's at, I don't see him finishing with a super high score. I think he's going to be middle of the road. Maybe eight points is my estimation right now. Probably another four wins, uh, which kind of makes sense. So 
Um, I'm I'm already like throwing up the I'm throwing the towel in for Suzuki at this point in the tournament. <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely think he he has a little bit tougher road than Abushi. Like you mentioned, yeah, I think he can get in that eight to ten point range. Um, I, overall, I think he's going to be more in the, the top half of the block than the bottom half. Potentially, keep in mind though, Suzuki. The past few years that he was in the, these tournaments, he he wasn't like throwing up high point totals, anyways. You know, right? Because he's not someone who really needs it one way or the other. You know, he's bulletproof. Yeah. Um. After that, we've got the Rainmaker Kazushiko Kata sitting uh, with one win, two losses, two points. Yeah. So on night three, he uh, defeated his, uh, you know, good old rival Yujiro Takahashi, and then on uh, night five, like we mentioned, he was defeated by the Switchblade Jay White. Um, you know, Okada, big talking point in this tournament. Like we talked about last week, a lot of people debating. Whether or not he's washed, whether this whole thing is a story, what's going on with him in the money clip, um, and I, I still think it, it's a story that they're telling. I don't think necessarily it's it's a great story because uh, you know we're we're not getting uh, great matches out of it. Um, you know we've seen the promos where he's you know saying yeah I'm not I'm not my best right now kind of thing, and for whatever reason he's just refusing to, to use a rainmaker. We haven't seen you know the kind of purplish gear that we're used to we haven't seen the okada bucks there's definitely something kind of going on here you know uh, um there was some talk of this in the discord and i mentioned how i really loathed what they were doing with him currently and uh there's a little bit of uh pushback from some of the other uh contributors where they were like well you know they took away his gear they took away his shorts in the past, and they gave him the pants, they gave him the balloons, they gave him the red hair, uh, all that sort of stuff. And every single time that he brought an element back, people rejoiced. And so they're like, I guarantee you when he does that first Rainmaker, people are going to lose their minds. I got to tell you, Jeremy, I'm not going to be one of those people. Now, you remember me running around the dojo when he brought back the shorts. Yes. <laughs> And I told you I would do that, and I'm telling you right now I'm not going to be doing that because here's the thing. If this is, quote-unquote, the story, it is simply a rehash and a lesser version of a story that they've already told two years ago. Uh, we already lived through it, you know what I mean? I, I'm kind of like, when are we going to get a fresh Okada story? We saw him at his highest. We saw him at his lowest. Now we're kind of just seeing him in the middle, and that's exactly what we're getting here. Mid Okada. That's what I'm calling him from this point <laughs> forward. Mid Okada. No, but in all seriousness, um, what I liked about the previous story that he had a couple years ago where he didn't win the G1 was that he was unable to work to his highest potential because mentally he was broken. That's why they called him, you know, everyone was called Broken Okada. And I, that kind of, at the time, I was like, that shows the genius of this guy because he's capable of doing so much more, but he's actively working at a lower level to fulfill like the story here. It's just kind of contingent on a move and it's the money clip. And I'm, I'm just not a fan of it. And the reason I'm not a fan of it, it's like, sure, maybe there are some elements of, of what I just described, but ultimately the move really the, the the way that he, he's um, 
performing it is so shitty. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, it's so shitty that I've now decided that I dislike this move more than Yoshihashi's butterfly lock. Mm, Wow. (laughs) And it's, it's not that it's even a bad move. It's actually a good move. And that's also the shame here is that it's a good move. And if done correctly, it could actually get over, but they're getting it not over and they're getting Okada not over all at the same time, which is, to me, not the goal of a story or the goal of professional wrestling. Um, yeah, I didn't like the Ujiro match very much. It was fine. I didn't love the Jay White match, but I liked a lot of what Jay White did in the match, but I didn't really love what Okada did in the match. And uh, here's the positives. If they are telling some sort of redemption story, Okada's got two points. Of all the guys, here's the thing. Of all the guys at the top of the block that you know are going to probably come down to some point, you got Tai Chi. Tai Chi's definitely coming down. Of all the guys in the bottom half of the block that you know are going up, Okada's going to be one of those guys that goes up. He's going to be getting a lot of big wins very shortly. I hope he starts having some great matches. So far, he has had, in my estimation, no great matches. I know a lot of people like the Jay White match, or I'm sorry, the uh, the Ibushi match. I gave you my feelings about it last week. I wasn't thrilled with that match. And um, that's two times now in this tournament where we've seen him against contemporary opponents that he's had in the past where he's had literal five-star matches with. And this was nowhere near those sorts of levels. That's very disheartening for me, just watching him as a performer in the G1. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be year-round, but, like, you expect Okada, the ace of the company, in the G1 – to show that he's the ace of the company, and we're not really getting that, and I'm not a big fan of it. So, I don't know. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm not really digging the story either. I'm not digging the whole the money clip stuff and the whole execution of all that stuff. And so, I'm hoping that this is, you know, some kind of, like you mentioned, some kind of redemption arc in the, the latter part of this tournament. He kind of turns it on and has some bangers. Um, but also, you know, we, we talked about this on the previous show with Chris Samso. What if this is just the year of Okada just floundering He's just a flop for the rest of the year, and just just not his year. Well, from a uh, performance standpoint, that is the truth. And there's some people who are probably like saying that's ludicrous for me to say. Go, I know not everyone likes match ratings, but let's just go look at the match ratings, man. He had two incredible matches at the Tokyo Dome, and after that, I don't know, man. He, nothing like there's nothing really to speak of honestly you look at all of the whole year and i know we were on a uh you know on a covid break but i mean you had the match with tai chi nothing to write home about the match with hiromu the match with nagata the match with evil the match with jay white the match with abushi this is all stuff that should have been living up to higher standards and levels and it just didn't and sure maybe it's a story but again like I said, it's a rehash of a story that they already told. We already did it. Let's move on to a, a you know, to to something else. And uh, my fear is that they don't know what to do with um, Okada if he's not the champion, which shouldn't be the case. You should have some other creative outlets, things you can do with a guy like Okada. But again. Uh, well, we got a question here, and I'll, we'll just go into that because it kind of touches on what you mentioned. Why did you do, do that, bro? Mentioned he said, "Is it possible Okada only gets eight to ten points this year? He seems to be on a downward spiral. B 
being easily beaten by Jay White and Ibushi. Yeah, I mean, if we're kind of going to the thing we talked about on the previous show, of, you know, for whatever reason, 2020 is just not Okada's year, and the kayfabe wise and in an in ring performance wise, and that's a story they're telling. Like, hey, he's kind of hit rock bottom this year. Yeah, I could see him eight to ten points, and and then we have to wait, we have to wait until you know 2021 for him to kind of reset and get get his game back. And you know what? That would be fine if that's the story. I, I'm again, I'm like I mentioned, I'm not a huge fan of that story. But if they decided to go all out and say, you know what, this is just not his year, and it's his down year, and he wins nothing, okay. But can't you give us good performances along the way? That would soften the blow quite a bit, you know. In fact, it would really help the struggle here, you know. This guy is going out there and he's performing. He's putting his all into it. He's really trying his damnedest. And he can't get it done. That's a story. Not, oh, he's got this new move. It's really great. He's going to sit the guy down and put him in a money clip. you got to see this thing. It's incredible. But he's not going to win shit with it. Uh, no. That doesn't really land with me. I don't know about other people, but that sucks to me. Yeah. And I feel like this kind of makes Okada look dumb in a sense. It's like. Yep. You abandon the Rainmaker, a match that has won you multiple championships, multiple tournaments uh, for this money clip that, yeah, you've won some matches with, but you haven't really won any big matches with it. You're failing to beat people with it. Why would you abandon your bread and butter for this new hole that's not getting you anywhere? Um, ultimately, I we got to move on, but I will say I'm still not going to be surprised if this story is leading to him winning the tournament any, or at least the block anyways, that's still on the table. It really, really is. Uh, at most, I see him taking one or two more losses the whole tournament. He's probably going to beat the majority of his opponents going forward. Yeah. So up next, we have Jeff Cobb, who also has two points, one win, two losses on night three. He was defeated by Shingo. Uh, or he he defeated Chingo, my bad. And then on night five, he was defeated by Minoru Suzuki. I enjoyed both of these matches for, as much as I could. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about people mentioning how invested the company is into Jeff Cobb. He's now signed. But to me, given the slotting in the tournament as far as where he is at, and it's not really a complaint, but it's more of an observation, he doesn't seem to be any different off than he was before he was signed to the company, personally speaking, just because he's not really headlining any of these shows so far. I don't know if he is down the line. They're they're either like first or second up matches on the card. They're not getting, you know, more than twelve minutes at most. And so he's kind of in that ACH tournament guy role, the the role that they put the ROH guys into at this point. Uh, he's done well. I wouldn't say he's like blown me away. But um, I thought the Shingo match was very good. I was pleasantly surprised to see that he beat Shingo. And then, uh, you know, the Suzuki match, again, we kind of touched on that. I I think he's doing fine in the tournament. Uh, There's nothing really to complain about, but I don't see him having any breakout performance either. Yeah, and that's the one thing I think a lot of people were kind of hoping for, that this would be the year, or the G1, that Cobb would kind of break out here. He's in this A block with so many great competitors and uh, so far, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been good stuff, but like you mentioned, no kind of breakout performances. 
the Shingo match, uh, I like that match too. Um, kind of a Haas uh, battle there. Um, I really love like the the rebound uh, suplex, back suplex that Shingo did to Cobb um, in that match up there. And that match is all about kind of outpowering and kind of leverage between those two. And I, I was also surprised that Cobb got the win there, especially since Cobb defeated Shingo last year in the G1. And we know a lot of times we kind of get some um, you know, 50-50 of people getting their, their wins back. Um, and, you know, actually, you know, Suzuki was a guy I was expecting Cobb to beat um, just to set up potentially, you know, a never title match. You know, Cobb's former never champion kind of in that division. But, yeah, you know, Suzuki was able to put him away in nine minutes. So, yeah, like you mentioned, Cobb's definitely kind of in that same kind of spot there. Whether or not he has a contract hasn't really changed anything. So, yeah, I kind of see him maybe, you know, eight points max, but definitely probably potentially even six points. Possibly. I really don't have much more to say about it. I think you, we both did a good job there. The only thing I'll, I will say is um, he's got a lot of great dance partners coming up in this block, so you know there's still some time to leave an impression. Yeah. So next up, the Dragon, Shingo Takagi, also with two points, one wins and two losses. Like we mentioned, he lost to Cobb on night three, and then we talked about earlier uh, Shingo defeating Will Ospreay on night five. Thoughts on Shingo being, um, you know, down one and two so far. Um, I'm not super surprised. The, the The big tell this year was the fact that he slotted against Suzuki on the final night. Um, I even expected him to go zero and three, if you recall last week, um, to give him a, a bit of a redemption story arc. I think they're still doing that. I think he's going to um, rebound here. I think he'll be in play on the final night. I think. Given the point totals, he'll be outside chance of winning, and then Suzuki knocks him out. But um, as far as performances go, I mean, the Jeff Cobb match, Jeff Cobb's best match of the tournament, the match with Osprey, Osprey's best match of the tournament. Um, who did Shingo fight on the first night? Jay White. Jay White's best match of the tournament. So Shingo is a shining star in the block, which is no surprise whatsoever. As far as winning the block, I think it's uh, very unlikely. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we all kind of get caught up in how awesome Shingo is and his great performances and, you know, expect him to you know, to do better and kind of, you know, potentially win a G1 or be on top of the block, you know, win the A block kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, I just don't think he's – they see him quite like that. I think, like we mentioned, he's going to have some great performances. He's going to give everybody probably their, their best matchups. But he, he, I don't think he's going to end up winning the block here. Yep. Um, that's it. Uh, let's move on to Tomohiro Ishii. Sitting at zero points, 0-3. Took a loss to Will Ospreay. Took a loss to Kota Ibushi. Um, but man, he is still Tomohiro Ishii. And he is still fucking killing it every single night. Both of these matches... Plus the Suzuki match. Um, you know, I think Ishii might at this point in time be the performer of the block still, even with no points. Yeah, and that's the one thing about Ishii. Whether he wins or loses, he's going to go out there and give you give you his all and absolutely kill it. And that's what he's been doing in this tournament with the three matches he's had thus far. Um, and again, Ishii's a guy that... Uh, it's beatable and is a guy that typically gets in that that 
you know, six to eight points. Sometimes he gets ten, but I think traditionally he's kind of in that eight points max kind of role. And so I think he'll definitely kind of pick back up um, as action picks up this week and start and gets rack some wins up. But I think he'll kind of finish in the middle of the block like he typically does. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the kind of performances that you know Tai Chi, Will Osprey, Shingo have all kind of, and Kota Bushi have all kind of a uh, put in you know it it, it would be easy to kind of name any one of them the mvp of the block especially since they're pretty much all having more actually important matches in terms of the overall hierarchy of new japan but with ishii and you look at where he's at i don't know man uh i think you still have to call him the performer because the match with suzuki is one of the top two or three matches at the tournament and then the will osprey match obviously to boot bottom line is at this point you know ishii is still you know the the dude to be reckoned with in this tournament as far as putting on you know top line performances yeah ishii's just incredible and yeah i think for the rest of this tournament we're just gonna see great matches from him uh one last thought i think he's done um oh and three i don't see him coming back (laughs) and locking up the next six matches. It's just, it's not happening, um, unfortunately. Yeah, I I think he's probably going to win, like, four matches max, get to that that eight-point level, like I was mentioning, and that's going to be it for him. Yeah, so we're not very far off from seeing him uh, mathematically, you know, disqualified or eliminated. Yeah. So any other thoughts on Ishii? No, let's uh, let's move on and talk about uh, the Tokyo Pimp. Yep, so also at the bottom of the block there of Ishii with zero points, zero wins, three losses. The Tokyo Pimp, Yujiro Takahashi, like we mentioned, he lost to Okada on night three, lost to Taichi on night five. Um, Taichi, he's, I mean, excuse me, uh, Yujiro, he's just kind of, he's kind of there, um, you know, not... Great, not great performances. I don't think anybody was really expecting, you know, any kind of great performance. Um, I, I thought the Osprey match uh, was the best match that he's had so far. Um, Beside that, he's just kind of there. Um, the Okada match, I will say, I do think this was probably the best of the Okada Yujiro matches they've had. But again, that's not really saying much since all their matches have stunk. Uh, and I went like two and a half on, on this one. Um, yeah, there's just not much to really sink your teeth into with Yujiro. And honestly, I, I can see him going, um, you know, 0-9 in the tournament. I don't expect to see Yujiro going 0-9. <laughs> um, but that would be a pretty Yujiro thing for them to do. Like, be like, hey, bud, we let you back in the tournament. But... uh <laughs> You're you're doing nothing but uh, clean falls. First time since uh, Hanma. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not anticipating that. It is funny. I agree with you what you mentioned about him and um, Okada having their best match. But it's like him and Okada having a three and a quarter or three and a half star match. So basically just having a passable, serviceable match is the best thing that they've produced all year in their long series of matches. That's quite an indictment on both guys, to be honest. Um, 
so yeah, not much to say there. My my favorite thing though is um, when Ujiro comes out now, and I'm pretty much watching most of this with my girlfriend. Every single time, like the music comes on, like the two of us will just be like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I never really noticed like the gratuitous like female moans in the middle of his like uh, matches or you know his entrance, which is uh, kind of endearing. Uh, <laughs> funny thing during after he lost to Tai Chi, Tai Chi like cut a promo on him and he was like, he was like, one of our ladies is going to be happy after tonight. <laughs> 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 but uh yeah that's pretty much all i can that, that, that's all the color i can add to uh to tai chi <laughs> you mean uh yujiro i'm sorry to yujiro yeah. <laughs> well you know there is one way that um yujiro could be a winner and and, and make uh peter happy and, and that's by making sure he's using the lawnmower 3.0 uh, and taking care of business down there <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, Manscaped has engineered the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawnmower 3.0. Third generation trimmer, which features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Um, so, Tokyo Pimp has nothing to worry about here. He can use the, the Lawnmower 3.0 and, you know, make sure everything is crystal clear down there. Yeah, guys, uh, the water resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. There's an LED light to illuminate grooming areas for a closer and more precise shave. Uh, they've got a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. So, you know, if you guys are listening to us right now, which I'm sure you are, we want you to experience this firsthand. Go ahead and order, you know, whatever you'd like off of the Manscaped uh, website. Be sure to use the code SUPLEX at checkout, and you will get 20% off as well as free shipping for any order that you place with manscaped.com, which, you know, your boys are hooking you up here. Yeah, so take advantage of that deal, 20% off and free shipping with the code SUPLEX at manscaped.com, 20% off and free shipping, manscaped.com, use our code SUPLEX. So now we're going to move so over to the talk about, uh Oh, my bad, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now, now let's uh, move on to the B block. So we have, uh, we'll start at the top of the block here. With uh, the double IWGP champion Tetsuya Naito, four points, two wins, zero losses. Yeah, Naito, a man who um, I don't know why, but I've got this weird feeling that he doesn't do a lot of manscaping. <laughs> you know, you kind of take a look at him. It's like you know, he he, dr- he dresses fresh to death, but then you look at his hair and he's on some fuck shit, and I'm like. He's not taking uh, taking care of the hair upstairs. He's definitely not using a lawnmower three downstairs. He's definitely not, and I think someone should reach out to him, let him know about the offer we're making, and uh, you know, hook up the double champ. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but we've uh, so far we've only got one night here. Uh, he was in the main event against Zach Sabre Jr. 28 minutes, 28 seconds. I didn't realize they came so close to the, uh, you know, to the tail end or to the time limit there. Um, good match, but I will go on record and say this was not a classic like people are heralding it to be. This wasn't even one of the best matches of the tournament. And this is 
quite frankly, the worst Naito and Zack Sabre match they've ever had against one another. Now, that's not to say the match wasn't good. It is good, and it kind of depends on your taste and temperament. But, I mean, I don't know, man. 28 minutes of Naito and Zack Sabre. I don't know, man. Yeah, I I don't know. I really like this match, and... I know typically like a, a long saber match, um, you know, isn't the best match. You know, a, a lot of holds and all that kind of stuff. But uh, for whatever reason, I I, just, I was really digging this match up here. I felt like um, Naito was kind of doing a good job towards the beginning of the match, uh, kind of matching holes um, with Saber and kind of um, kind of getting the match at his pace, and then Saber was just kind of eating him up towards the middle part of the match and. I know I really enjoyed the closing stretch there and them teasing the the thirty minute draw and uh, Saber hitting the the Zack driver, um, but he couldn't make the cover, um, and then eventually uh, he got some great near falls with the European clutch and a, a Japanese leg hole towards the end there. Um, then eventually Naito was able to counter the Zack driver again and hit a Destino and hit another Destino to get the win. Yeah, here's my thing with their matches and they've had quite a lengthy series i think they were two and two going into the match most of their matches prior to this were like i don't know 15 to 20 minutes usually uh and this was like a stretched out lengthened version of their excellent series that they'd had up to this point i do think that they had some really incredible stuff the zach driver was awesome you know uh the the final stretch uh some of those like uh you know like that sequence of moves that they had going into the finish was really really awesome and zach was at his all-time great and you know naito was doing some really awesome selling too but here's the problem is there's a lot of downtime in this match and it really was kind of stretched out in between all the good stuff they took a 15 minute match and stretched it out to almost 30 minutes and for me that's I can't overlook that. Uh, I still went three and, I don't know, three quarters, maybe, I guess. Um, this, for me, is B-Block's version of Ibushi and Okada. It's a match that a lot of people liked for whatever reason. I thought it was too long and not quite as good as people hyped it up to be. I do see that cage match has it at 8.24, so the majority of people like it. But I'm only going to read the comments that are like in the sevens and sixes that more align with my opinion and I'm going to overlook all the tens. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I definitely don't think it was, you know, 10 or five stars. I know there's some people that are really, really high on it. I'm in the four star range. Um, I thought it was good um, for what it was and the kind of story they're telling there. Definitely. They've had better matches. Um, I still thought it was a good main event. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Um, you know, Zach was on his quest to uh, beat the IWGP champion in the tournament and thereby, circumnavigate the entire idea of having to win the tournament because he gets an automatic tile shot right off the bat. Uh, that was not the case here. So Naito undefeated two and zero. uh, we had some questions from, uh, Rambo and slam pig. He asked, he said, has Naito discovered the fountain of youth or were some of the lackluster performances earlier this year with, the, uh, more the result of booking style mismatches and his opponents or some other factor. I've been pumped about his performances in this tournament thus far. Yeah, I don't think he's uh, found the fountain of youth whatsoever. Um, but I do think I wish I wish he would find the fountain of youth. <laughs> uh, God, I miss twenty sixteen Naito. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I think thus far in this tournament, I think it's been his opponents. I mean, so he's faced Tanahashi and then he's faced Sabre so far. And traditionally, he has great matches with both of these guys. And I both th- these guys, both <laughs> these guys. Um, so yeah, I thought the Tanahashi match was incredible. Um, and I thought this match was pretty good. So right now, I think it's, it's, his, it's opponents is a, is a big factor in it. Um, there's your theory where if Naito's going over, you, you, he you know puts out best performance. So he's won both those matches. So that could play a part in it as well. Um, Dude, let's take a look at all the matches that Naito's had really, quote-unquote, good performances in. He beat Okada in the Dome, put in super effort. He uh, beat Evil in the ballpark, super effort. He beat Tanahashi in the main event of the opening night of the G1, super effort. Goes over clean over Zack Sabre Jr., one of his toughest opponents. Super effort. This man tries so hard when he knows he's going (laughs) to win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so who knows? Maybe that's part of it to play, too. But, yeah, I think it's it's mainly, I think, his opponents and also the structure of the matches so far. You know, he's wrestling guys that are not doing the outside interference and the shenanigans and all that stuff here. And then... It's more focused on what's going on in the ring, and so I think that's definitely helped Naito out here. Well, one thing too, you got to keep in mind, um, Naito, his uh, title runs have been plagued with so much misfortune and things, things like that. And now he's going into a G one as the champion. I think the first time ever in history. And I know none of these are title defenses, but when a champion goes into a G one, it is a huge part of their legacy. And he's main eventing all these nights in the G1, which he's never done before. It's not to say that he's a stranger to main events, but I mean, this is his opportunity to really like cement his legacy as the champion at this point in time. And, you know, we got to imagine he's going to be the champion going into January. So he's got one more title defense before he maybe drops the belt. Um, Who knows? So I think that there's a lot of motivation on his uh, you know, part to really carry that belt with dignity. And here's the other thing too. I don't know what the if if the final booking has been affected by COVID or anything like that. But if I'm Naito and I want them to let me maybe perhaps retain the belt <laughs> <laughs> in Jan in the Tokyo Dome on January, then I really need to show them something. And this is his chance to really show them something. So, yeah, I, I don't think he's found the fountain of youth, but I think he's found his uh, desire to compete and perform again, which is something that he's been kind of lacking over the past, what, I don't know, man, aside from some, like, brief spurts and uh, occurrences, what, three years? Yeah. About that, yeah. So, yeah, he's on a good stretch. Um, we'll see what happens in the rest of the block. I. I would love to, to, you know, a few weeks from now be talking about how Naito was the MVP of the V block. I would love that. I don't know if it'll be the case, but yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, next question here from Reddit user that was five stars. Has Naito had a year where he had three almost match of the year quality matches prior to 2020? Naito Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, Naito Tanahashi, and Naito ZSJ were all incredible without trying hard. Naito can matches stick out in my mind, but I think this might be his best year since I've started watching. Um. No. <laughs> well, here's what I will say. We everyone just kind of heard my opinion on the Zack Saber match. Good match, 
not a match of the year, not even close to a match of the year contender. It wouldn't even be in the top 100 matches of the year, even in a COVID year. It's just not. Um, that being said, yeah, for sure he had a, a you know a really really great match with Okada, a really really great match with Tanahashi. But I mean, this isn't his best year by far. Uh, 2016, he was the wrestler of the year, and I could probably point to every 2018 and 2019. I could probably pull at least. I mean, what did he have that series of matches with the Bushi last year? Yep, that was last year. Yeah, those were all match of the year contenders. Plus the year where he had all those matches with Jericho, the matches with Kenny, the matches with the uh, Ishii. Every year Naito has at this is probably I wouldn't call it a down year, but if you talk about output, he's not had as many great matches this year as he's had over the last four or five years. Yeah. He always has more great matches than he's had this year. I would say at yeah, twenty twenty, if you wanted to say like last like five years from 2015 to 2020 i would say 2020 is probably the weakest year um compared to all those years but it's not his fault there's been less opportunity right but yeah he's had better he's had a a greater number of great matches every year you know over the last five or six years over 2020 for sure yeah even probably before that So uh, that's it. Let's move on to Juice (laughs) Robinson, who is surprisingly sitting here undefeated with four points. He's 2-0, and uh, he most recently defeated Kenta. Yeah, and so this is something I was kind of predicting ahead of time. I I figured that— Oh, were you? Yes. (laughs) I was ahead on this. Um, You know, Juice kind of being in that U.S. picture— um, you know, you you got Kenta with the briefcase. We have no idea when Kenta is going to be able to actually face John Moxley. So you, they're probably going to extend him, you know, defending this briefcase out. And so I thought it made a lot of sense to defend um, the briefcase against Juice. I don't know if that will happen in Japan or if it will happen in the U.S. or what they're going to do. But I definitely see them happening. Um, you know, Juice, after he beat Kenta, was staring at the briefcase. So, yeah, I think that's definitely coming down the line. But um, I thought this match... Uh, it was very hard hitting, um, not, not the best match or anything, but yeah, kind of a hard hitting back and forth matchup here. Um, and Juice ended up getting the win, pull friction. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have much to add to that. Uh, they did have a really awesome, uh, both guys had really awesome promos after the match. Uh, well, I don't know about you. Juice was awesome for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> this man, This man talked about how Kenta literally beat the shit out of him. And then he started talking to Hazumi about how he, you know, did he know what a shark was? Right. (laughs) (laughs) That was hilarious. I'm like, dude, this man juice is on some other shit. Like, I don't know what is going on with him. I don't know what his gimmick is. I don't know what his look is, but he's out here picking up wins. So that's cool. Um, And then Kenta cut a promo and decided to cut into English. And while he was, you know, cutting into English, he completely dropped his persona, dropped his heel character and work and kind of gave a heartfelt talk about how both of these guys had wrestled multiple times over in the States for WWE and how Juice had, you know, really changed and, and transformed himself as a performer. And now years later, they've met against one another and that it was like an honor. And then after that, like, Went right back into his heel persona, so that was pretty cool. But um, 
that you definitely touched on like the implications as far as like New Japan Strong and New Japan of USA is concerned, but I liked that they sort of incorporated the uh, history of these two performers when it comes to like their NXT days against one another. So uh, big win for Juice. I, I didn't love the match. It was fine. Uh, I agreed with all the sentiments you had, but uh, you know, Juice picks up two. Yeah, and uh, relating to Juice's promo, we did have a question here from Rambo and Slam Pig. He says, do you think Juice needs to start wearing a muffler a la Dusty Rhodes? I wonder if that – he probably just worked us. Like, I don't even know if, like, the the uh, the promo's even a shoot. Like, he's probably – you know, like, this man feels like he's just being, like, his own wacky version of a loose cannon. Like, this is what he – this is Juice's version of like '95 uh, Brian Pillman. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm working everybody. I'm making everyone think I sharded. But like, <laughs> his work isn't going to result in him making more money. His work is just to pop himself so he can be like entertained. That's what this is. Like, Juice 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 Robinson's a loose cannon right now. Like, <laughs> he does, he does not give. A, I think he's come to grips with the fact that he's never going to be an IWGP contender, and he's he's made peace with it, and now nothing really matters. I I don't know. I guess maybe that's the case, but yeah, he is out here, you know, kind of being out, outlandish on the promos and just kind of you know popping everybody with these promos. Outlandish, you say? Yeah. Would you say he's being flamboyant? Let's move on. Uh, to the next uh, person in the block who is undefeated with four points, James Boyd's favorite wrestler, <laughs> Toru Yano. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, on night four, Toru Yano defeated the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. So now Toru Yano, not only is he the provisional KOPW King of Pro Wrestling 2020, he is now the new ace. New Japan Pro Wrestling. Well, they've always called him the true ace of New Japan, and he's proven it here, and he's also the king of pro wrestling. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, I don't know. But uh, in all seriousness, this was not a win that I saw coming. <laughs> Dude, I, um, I I did not see this either. I thought, because it seemed like Tanahashi wasn't really trying to play the games. You know, Yano was trying to bait him out at the beginning for a kind of, Tanahashi wasn't going out. It felt like Tanahashi was going to kind of outsmart him, especially with him ending up tying the the tape around his eyes. Well, you know, he's beaten Tanahashi on multiple occasions in the past. And it's kind of funny. Like, we used to joke about how he had Suzuki's number for all those years. And it is funny that he's the KOPW champion. And he, like, ha- holds all those victories over Minoru Suzuki. Well, Matter of fact, he holds a bunch of victories over Tanahashi, this one included. So maybe he is also, you know, the dual ace and king simultaneously. But um, this match was fine. Seven minutes. It went a little. If we're gonna put on our, uh, you know, wrestling analytic hat for a moment, um, I thought it went too long. I didn't think it was anywhere near as entertaining or funny as the Sonata match. Um, it served its purpose. There's some people who probably loved it. I actually kind of thought it was too much bullshit. But uh, I obviously enjoyed the ending where Tanahashi taped up his eyes, blindfolded him, and that didn't really matter. Yano was able to – you know what it was like? 
Jeremy, you've seen Bloodsport, haven't you? Yes, I have. That's what Yana was – okay, do you remember when um, Jean-Claude Van Damme's character was doing all the training when he was blindfolded to prepare for the tournament? Yeah, and then he got the sand in his eyes. Yeah, I have it on good authority that Yano saw that movie for the first time recently, was inspired during the COVID, COVID epidemic, and was actually doing similar training in preparation for the G1 Climax, and it paid off in spades. That's how he was able to use his senses to – Avoid the referee, tell where Tanahashi was, kick him in the nads, and pick up the one, two, three. Well, I, I believe it, man. I mean, I watched with my own eyes. He he knew where he was at. He he grabbed uh, Marty Asami, got him in the way, got the low blow. Yeah, and was able to roll up the ace and get the win. There's literally a scene in Bloodsport where John Claude Van Damme is about to hit the referee, grabs him, is able to feel that it's not him, and then avoids you know uh, being disqualified. That's what Yano did. Yano is Jean-Claude Van Damme, 2020. So are, are you saying we need to get Yano on a blood sports show? Oh, my God. Yano against Josh Barnett, blood sport. <laughs> Somebody booked this. This is a license to print money, man. Let's get Yano out to the collective. Somebody, somebody find a way to get Yano <laughs> to Indiana <laughs> the Yano, next month. Yano against Chris Dickinson. What could go wrong? <laughs> Can you imagine the the promos that Chris Dickinson would cut on Yano, and then Yano would just stand there and like just shrug his shoulders and be like, "I don't know." <laughs> Buy this DVD. Oh, oh my god! So we had a question here from Highest Fly Flow. He says, "What are your thoughts on Meltzer before day four saying Tano was about to have his worst match of the G one because of Yano, especially after Yano's fun match of Sonata on day two? Young boy spoke of this a little last week, but it's weirder than when when Dave says it." I mean, that's an easy prediction to make anytime you're discussing the G1. I mean, whatever block Yano's in, provided there isn't too many, too many like, fuck-off guys in there, you know, like, say, Fale or something, then you can pretty much easily predict that they're going to have their worst match with Yano, just based on the nature of Yano matches. I mean, if you look on cage match, I'm sure he's not, like, blowing the world apart. So, I mean, I don't even know that Dave is quote-unquote wrong. I mean, who, if you look at tanahashi's tournament who else is he gonna have a match as lowly rated as the match he just had with yano it's probably correct right yeah i don't see anybody here in the rest of the block that would really give tanahashi that low of a match nothing that should be below three stars but yeah so i mean you know we, we talk about it all the time the yano matches they serve their pur- purpose they're there for you know a reason and i thought this one was fine I didn't add to that because I thought you had more to say. I didn't realize that you're. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize you were done with your thought there. So yeah, um, but Yano is. It is surprising Yano's picked up two big wins here back to back. The only real question is, I don't anticipate him having like a lot of wins in this tournament. But who knows? Wacker. It's 2020. Wacky things have happened. It just want, you wonder how these wins are going to play out as far as like the point totals are concerned when everything shakes out. Um, right. well, but yeah. given who he's beaten, um, I, I think that these are two of the big spoil matches, honestly. 
Yeah, but you know the, the big difference here for Yano this year is he's coming in this tournament defending something, man. He's got he's got that KOPW oh trophy that's motivating him. He knows if he loses, he's gonna have to defend the KOPW against whoever beats him. So you know he, he's a champion. So you're saying that he hasn't he has a new reason to perform because he's the KOPW champion? Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy GFOH. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> well, on that, I guess we should move on to the next guy, Hiroki Goto, who has uh, two points, one win, one loss. On this night, he defeats Sonata, 11 minutes and three seconds. Big shock. Um, Sonata, you know, has new gear, uh, new hair. You know, it just seems like he is poised to be a potential winner of this tournament and to take a loss to Goto wasn't one that I saw coming. Um, I don't think you did either. Yeah, I didn't see this coming at all. I mean, Goto is kind of one of these utility guys at this point in his career. Um, you know, there was an interview on the website where, uh, you know, Naito pretty much called him a jag. Um, you know, Goto's just at this point where, yeah, he, he's kind of on that lower card, you know, never level. And, I mean, he still has good matches every once in a while, but... With a guy like Sonata, who's kind of had multiple IWGB matches last year, and the whole series with Okada, and a lot of people have Sonata, you know, marked to win this B block. You think a guy like Goto would be an easy win for him to get to get some points? Um, you know, one thing I will say briefly talking about the match, I don't really have too many thoughts about it. I thought the match was fine. Um. I liked a lot of the like reversals from like the skull end into like the GTR and the GTW and stuff like that. But um, it wasn't like a match that blew me away. I thought it was just a, a fine match, very solid for the evening. Nothing to really complain about, but the surprise ending, I think definitely probably raised it up a little bit for me personally. Yeah. Same here. Like you mentioned a lot of kind of great sequences. I felt it was a little a pretty fast paced match. Again, it was only 11 minutes. Um, a lot of great back and forth, and you mentioned, yeah, Goto eventually gets to, hits the GTW as a mid-kick hits the GTR and is able to put Sonata away. Great. Um, maybe, hypothetically speaking, if Sonata was a winner of this tournament, maybe this is an indicator of a potential briefcase match, possibly? I don't know. I mean, yeah, they could do that, and you, you give them some more time. I'm sure they could have a better match. Um, but that's pretty much all I have. All my thoughts about Goto. I mean, I mean, I don't anticipate Goto to hold on to this undefeated streak for much longer, personally. Well, he's um, he's he's already had one loss. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I don't anticipate him to, uh, you know, keep the momentum going. I know he has in the past done very well, and he typically does do in the ten range, and I don't think that that's unreasonable to think that he might do something like that but i don't think i don't see him being in a final this year just given the names that are in this tournament and his slotting you know within the company so i think it's a big win i think it's interesting but that's pretty much all i think about it yeah so let's move on to the next guy here yeah we've got uh kenta and um kenta sitting at one and one we talked about his loss to Juice Robinson. Um, I, I, I guess my big thing here is 
Who did Kenta beat on the first night? I'm trying to remember. Goto. Okay, so he already – yeah, that's right. He beat Goto, lost to Juice Robinson. Um, you've kind of talked about the reasonings why it might make sense to have Juice beat him, and I think that that's an interesting you know, uh, avenue to kind of explore down the road if they end up doing you know, the, the New Japan USA stuff. I don't think we've seen enough of Kenta to get a true sense of where he's at performance-wise. I mean, neither of these matches were big, even semi-main events or main events or anything. They're kind of like early show, early you know matches in the card. He's looked fine, but um, nothing that would like indicate to me what kind of tournament he's really going to have personally. Right. The one thing I will say is I like the fact that he is kind of playing it straight for the most part. We're not seeing. A ton of cheating. He's not coming out with Jado or Gato or any Bullet Club guys. It's pretty much all been in the ring stuff, and he's been um, pretty hard hitting. But like you mentioned, it's been opening matches, you know, second card matches that have gone only like ten minutes or so. So he hasn't really gotten that that you know twenty minute match yet, that semi main or main event to really show anything yet. I wouldn't be surprised if they do a little story where he's not cheating enough. And not to say that he'll have a heater because he doesn't have a heater, but uh, maybe he starts showing more of his like, you know, kind of wily veteran cheating ways to win more matches. They did a story like that last year with Jay White um, after his three losses where he started relying heavily on the cheating. So maybe Kenta gets desperate. He is a guy that's factored to go pretty far in this tournament, especially since he's fighting Naito in the final evening. Um, he's a sneaky one, man. Um, he's one who, you know, you might see him with a unexpected high point total by the end of this thing. Right. And I, I think too, that that briefcase helps a lot of it too. I think they're, they are trying to, you know, prop that briefcase up in the U S title picture. And I don't think they want him obviously defending that against too many people. So he'll, he'll probably maybe get one or two more losses, but I don't think they want a bunch of people beating him. So we get a bunch of briefcase matches. Question from Howard Schilling. He said, going off of something that was said on last week's show, since travel restrictions are wonky, does it make sense for Kenta to come back to the States after the G1 to take the U.S. belt off Moxley and then defend it on New Japan Strong as the main belt of that brand? And I will answer that question very simply by saying we've talked about this previously. He's not going to be fighting Moxley in America. It's been confirmed if they do fight, it has to be in Japan. Right. And so, obviously, at some point, that's the big holdup for the match and why it's been taking so long to happen. So, obviously, with the travel restrictions and obviously with Moxley being a key part of AEW and needing to be there every week, it's, it's pretty hard for him to you know go back and forth and have this match. And that's why they have the briefcase and they're kind of teasing this thing out. But the, the, one, the one talking point I have to kind of add to that at some point, you got to wonder when New Japan might need to lift the title off of Moxley. At this point, they don't have him signed. It is a handshake deal. I know that both sides want to do business with one another, but the current circumstances might not allow that to be the case. And I know this is a big match they want to do. I'm just wondering how long you allow the top star from a f- foreign competing company to hold what hold up one of your titles. Not, not that it's his fault, but you know, they they've always kind of been pretty much sticklers in most cases for, you know, 
enforcing their defense rules and they're kind of giving Mox the superstar pass on this one. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of wondering when they're going to like enforce their rules. Right. Uh, what do you think about this being the main quote unquote belt of strong? Um, I mean, I think that was orig- like originally the intention of the U.S. title when it was envisioned and it didn't quite – it kind of became the Gaijin title as opposed to the U.S. title, <laughs> <laughs> which which is what I don't think it should have been. Um, I'm not against that. I think that there definitely needs to be some stakes there because we've had a bunch of tournaments and no champions. So, I mean, um, not that I'm in favor of them having a lot more champions in New Japan. So why not – extradite the one title that you have that's you know designated for the u.s and actually utilize it for your u.s-based product i think that makes sense right i mean there's they definitely need some something more to fight for some more stakes on that brand so it's the u.s title have it defended in the u.s wow what a concept um yeah i think it would it would fit there's also this title that exists out there in the world and there's this guy named billy corgan um Give him a call. I I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him and his company, but I think his title is like pretty prestigious and has a lot of history behind it. Maybe that'd be an avenue you could go down. Who knows? You you, you want to see uh, Nick Aldis on Strong? Oh, I love Nick Aldis. I would love to see Nick Aldis on Strong. Um, my main thing is like the NWA title was kind of the quote unquote de facto main title of the u.s expansion back in the early 2000s so why not repeat history i don't know i mean nick you know he he's not about you know the Resu, you know yeah he doesn't want to f- but this would be in america so he wouldn't be fetishizing japanese wrestling he'd be fetishizing american wrestling sort that's cosplaying as japanese wrestling it's different <laughs> <laughs> So let's move on. We've got uh, Zack Sabre Jr. sitting at two points, one and one. We discussed the match with Naito. What are our thoughts on Zack at this point? So, again, I feel like Zack is almost in a similar spot to Kenta where they haven't had – he hasn't had any semi-main or main events yet, hasn't had any overly long matches. He did have the, you know, the, the big upset win over Evil on night uh, two there. And then here he loses to Naito on night four. So I, I think he's but had, he had he had a semi main event and a main event back to back. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the evil match was a semi main. Um, so yeah. So I don't know. I think I like I like the Naito match a lot, and the evil match was good for what it was. But I still think we still haven't seen like tip top Zack Saber yet. I think Zack Saber might be. If it's not Naito, then it, then Zack Sabre might be the performer of the B block right now. He had a, a really – he probably had Evil's – one of Evil's best matches since his turn. And then he had a really good match with uh, Naito. And even though I had some criticisms of the match, I don't really have a criticism for either guy. It's more the structure and the layout. And I thought both guys you know, looked good, but Zack – eats guys alive in that style of match. One thing I've learned, and I, I I don't like to do this too much because I'm still a novice to pro wrestling, but because I have such a uh, affinity for shoot style wrestling, one thing I've learned is that that stuff is great, but not everybody can do it. And so 
it doesn't work so well to be like, I'm going to be the shoot style guy if other people can't work that style with you. And the majority of professional wrestlers can't. And it's one of the things that's kind of elevated Zack Sabre Jr. in my eyes because he's able to go out there and still put on great matches with other people who can't work his style. And so he's able to adapt what he does. And Naito's clearly one of those guys. They usually have really good matches. But Naito, if you notice, can't really go hold for hold with Zack Sabre Jr. Right. Naito, Naito locks on a good cravat. <laughs> yeah, he'll throw on a cravat. He'll throw on that one leg submission where he's behind the guy. But that's like about it. Um so Zach's having a really good tournament. It's still early, but um, I do, you know I think he's going into that whole tag thing again with Dangerous Techers once this is all over. So um, at this point, he's lost to the champion. There's not a lot of stakes there on on the table for him, but uh, I'm I'm enjoying watching him in the tournament. Yeah, I think we kind of predicted on the previous show that Zach would be one of the top guys performers in this block, if not the top performer, and so he's definitely kind of on that track right now next we have the king of darkness evil sitting at two points one and one um he just most recently defeated yoshihashi semi-main event 17 minutes and 21 seconds jeremy i've got some good news i've got good things to say about evil for the oh first my time gosh <laughs> the, the, the evil fans will rejoice so you know i jumped on i, I, I was on twitter and the day that this match happened and I saw that Joel of the Super J cast was praising this match as being great. And I was like, well, surely that can't be correct. That's got to be some cap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I respect those guys, but I don't always agree with their opinions. And early on, they were kind of positive, especially Joel, of some of the uh, nuanced like parts of Evil's run. And I was like, you know what? Different style, different opinions. I, I I can't imagine that this evil and Yoshihashi match is that good. I went online. I looked at some of the, the, the grades, and the grades didn't really line up with what he was saying. So I was like, oh, you know what? It's got to be some cap. Then I watched the match. Bro, this match fucking ruled. This was not – I saw people are like, oh, it was a three-and-a-half-star match. Fuck all the way off. This match was awesome i'm i don't know i don't know where were you three and three quarters uh, i was three and a half you're three and a half oh my god it's bro fuck all the way off it's not three and a half <laughs> it's much better than I, that i think i'll three I'm, and a half i don't think i i don't think i went three seven five let me double still check that i was dangerously c- close to going four stars on evil and yoshihashi and here's the thing yeah i'll three and a half yep yeah, okay, it's bro. I don't know. I mean, it's too hard to like go back and rewatch stuff. But I'll tell you right now, that match is better than three and a half. Um, and you know what? Yo- Yoshihashi is the next guy we need to talk about too. So maybe we can just throw him in there. Yeah. Yoshihashi, they gave him fucking everything in this match. Everything, and he is probably one of the most overperforming uh, competitors. Not to say that he can't wrestle. He's a good wrestler, but he's like maximizing his time in there uh i i thought he was the star of the uh match he had with um juice and i think he was the star in this match but evil was playing the underneath guy while yoshihashi was on top and then evil was only able to cut him off when he cheated 
this tells me a couple things. I think that Evil actually has a future as a babyface, if you want my honest opinion. Like, I could actually get behind Evil as a babyface based on his wrestling performance here, because I was like, he's really good from underneath. And Yoshihashi was great on top. Uh, they they just flipped the dynamic of the style of match that they're having completely on its head. It wasn't that slow, plodding, methodic, heat-based match that Evil typically has. It was completely different. Um I think that there's a lot of bias against both of these guys, but I told the people that once evil went out there and had a good match that I would be unbiased and tell you when it was good. And even though I've still got criticisms, boy, was this match good. And this is coming from two, two guys that I regularly criticize all the fucking time. I don't really like either of them. (laughs) And this match fucking ruled. It was easily my match of the night. For not what was it night three night four night four easily match of the night the, bro uh, in what universe could I have ever expected that evil and Yoshihashi would outperform Naito and Zack Saber Jr. But I'm telling you they did so um yeah like this has to be I, I'm like three and three quarters on this this is fucking awesome maybe four all right I mean here's the thing like I know you're, you're you know hating that one three and a half but I like the match a lot too and. Um, I don't know, maybe I wasn't as high, maybe just because I remember some of the, the Togo stuff was a little bit too much for me, but I did like yeah. um, Yoshihashi, like you mentioned, like, they gave him everything, he had a ton of fire, uh, he, he seemed super motivated, and I feel like Evil might have been a little bit shook after the loss of Zack Sabre Jr., and then he was just kind of getting overwhelmed by Yoshihashi, who almost has a, a new sense of confidence since winning the Never Open with six-man titles, and was kind of went in there with a lot of fire, um, and really taking it to evil, and then the evil, yeah, was struggling, had to come from underneath, had to use Togo as much as he possibly could, had to cheat as, poss- as much as he could to try and get any kind of an advantage on Yoshihashi. Yeah, um, the things that I'll praise about it, like I said, I thought evil was great from underneath. I do agree. I, we kind of touched on the Dick Togo interference stuff, so I've already like kind of voiced my criticisms, but Yoshihashi has been awesome in this tournament, and a lot of it is his facials, and we've always talked about how he has terrible facials. But he's like kind of turned it around. I don't know if he's been working on that or what. But like you, you mentioned like showing fire. How do you show fire? It's not just always physical, because he's tried to show fire in a lot of matches where it's just fallen flat. But these last two matches, he's really seemed to be motivated and like been able to kind of like emote better than he's been able to in the past. Um, it's not enough to really get me behind Yoshihashi because he's still that utility guy who like <laughs> lacks some charisma and he's still doing the butterfly lock. But I mean, I'm way higher in Yoshihashi in 2020 than I was in 2018. I'll tell you that much. Well, I think it's very similar in, in the case of Yano, you know, Yoshihashi coming in here as a champion first time, you know, he's oh my God. never open with six man <laughs> title. He, he is pumped. He's jacked. He's motivated. <laughs> He's a champion, Josh. So he has to come in here and fight with all his heart. Obviously, he has a rough start. He's not like Yano. Yano's you know you know two and zero, and Yoshihashi's zero and two. But he's showing that fire and he's motivated. He really wants to win bad and you know fend off any you know potential never six man title matches. One last thing, I think Evil. Uh, this is something some people might praise and other people might criticize. It depends on your opinion on wrestling booking especially within the context of a match, but Yoshihashi pushed evil to his fucking limit. 
Um, and Evil just came off of an IWGP title run, and Yoshihashi is nowhere near that level. So there's some people who might see this as like being like what you talked about. Evil kind of like being in his own head, Yoshihashi surging. You know, maybe it's the perfect storm. Maybe it's Evil doing a little bit of a favor for Yoshihashi and really putting him over big by giving him so much in the match. But uh, other people will look at that and be like, in no world should Yoshihashi, should Evil be struggling with Yoshihashi. So I think it depends on how the story ends up playing out over the course of the tournament. But it's very interesting. In ha- I mean, when I say Yoshihashi, like, they gave him everything. They really gave him everything. Like, this is the most you could do for somebody without putting him over, which yeah. was awesome. Yeah. See, I'm looking forward. I'm actually looking forward to seeing what, actually what both these guys do in the remainder of the tournament. Yeah, this is the most positive I've been on either of these guys in quite a while. So uh, moving on to the next guy who's also uh, winless, 0-2, just like Yoshihashi, is the Cole Skull Sonata. Uh, we talked about the Goto match already, and you, you brought up some good points with Sonata. It's one of those things, you know, he has the new gear, the new mask. Um, he is one of the favorites to win the B block on a lot of people's brackets. And, yeah, not starting off so hot here. Yeah, I don't have much more to add to it because he hasn't shown me a lot more. I mean, um, I think he's definitely, like, G1 ready. Um, he looked good in the Goto match. You know, he looked ready to perform up to the level that he has in G1s in the past. So I don't really even have a criticism. Uh, this is just the story they're telling. This is where he's at. And, uh, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. But I expect him to be sort of like a resurgent guy coming through the second two-thirds of the uh, competition or the tournament. Yeah, I could definitely see him maybe even eating one more loss on coming up here on night six and then winning six straight. That would be, I mean, that would be what they did with Naito. So I hope they don't go that route. I hope they start kind of rebuilding him and then maybe give him a setback in the middle of it. You know, maybe kind of keep us guessing. But, uh, I mean, we're going to be doing a quick preview looking at the matches upcoming. So we'll see what we think. So then the last guy here to talk about also 0-2, 0 points, the ace. Hiroshi Tanahashi and we talked about him uh, losing to Toru Yano and obviously on his first matchup he lost to Tetsuya Naito thoughts on the ace being at the bottom of the block right now he had the matchup B block and then maybe in a lot of people's brackets or you know uh, no books he had the worst match of the B block so quite a disparity between those two but regardless of the fact he is zero points um. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to kind of see what the story is with Tanahashi. I mean, um, there are people questioning where he's at in the company because of this. I think that's a little ridiculous. But when it comes to his actual, like, uh, you know, performances, I mean, Tanahashi's still Tanahashi. He's proven that and shown that and just been incredible and i think i think he if if i had to give you my guess i think he will ultimately regardless of how much talent's in the b block he'll end up being the performer of the block in my estimation but i do think he's not gonna 
come close to winning the block personally, especially since, uh, I don't know, just the story that they're, that they've got going with, you know, the dangerous techers and then him and Ibushi. One key thing, Ibushi did call out Tanahashi at the end of night five on, during his promo where he mentioned, uh, you know, Tanahashi, you know, I'm waiting for you. I'm going to be there at the end. I hope, you know, you will be too. So I, I still think that these guys will end up being in some sort of story that leads to them having a wrestling match personally. Yeah, I agree with you. And yeah, I think Tanahashi is going to be, I think, potentially, I'm guessing like about 10 points max, you know, getting getting five wins under his belt. But I don't think he's going to, um, you know, be in contention on the last night. He is facing off against Zack Sabre Jr. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think either of those guys will really be players leading in the final match. I think the, the, the two final matches that, that Naito and Kenta match and then the Evil Sonata match are going to be the two main matches that are going to decide the block winner there. Yeah. So um, before we move on, real quick question. So, I mean, out of all the A block matches we've seen this week, uh, your match so far for this week would probably be what? Osprey Shingo? Yeah, Osprey Shingo. I got that 475. That Yeah, that's my favorite from the A block in this last stretch. I, I'm probably inclined to agree with you. You could probably sway me that way, but just for shits and giggles, I'll throw out Ibushi and Ishii because I think it's the equal to that match at least. And then in the B block, I think um, for me it's got to be Yoshihashi and uh, Evil, which I never in a million years would imagine <laughs> you saying. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm going with uh, Naito and Saber. Awesome. So we got some G1 questions here that we can uh, go through real quick. Rambone Slam Pig asked us, what night do you think has been the best overall card top to bottom so far about a third of the way through the tournament? And I think for me, it's an easy answer. Night five is the best show of the night or, you know, show of the tournament so far. Yeah. Hands down night five. I mean, you get that semi-main of Shingo and Osprey. You get the Ishii Ibushi war. Um, I mean, Jay White and Okada was fine for what it was. Um, uh, open, good opening Young Lion match. Like, from top to bottom, that was just a really solid card. Yeah. Night one has a strong contention because it had such a solid... Uh, it, was, it was a more solid card top to bottom as far as consistency goes. But for this one, when you kind of weigh out those two matches that are both match of the year contenders. It's really hard, you know, to, to take a, a pretty good show and kind of compare it to a, a show that has two really huge bangers like that over it. So that's my answer. Um, next question from shiny samurai is a Marat. He said predictions for the G1 finals. Now that we're near the halfway mark of the G1. So Rambo and Slam Pig were, said we're only a third of the way through, but uh, this question asker says we're halfway through. And I'm not good at math, so I'm not sure where we're at, really. So we're, we're <laughs> we just finished uh, night five of 19. So we're. Oh, so we're, we're not close to the halfway point just yet. No. So we got a few more nights to go before we get to halfway. Um, but as of right now, um, you know, you know, at the beginning of the tournament, I was leaning towards Okada going to the A Block Finals, winning the overall thing. But well, the story they're telling, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's the way they're, they're going. I mean, I could see. We talked about this off the air. I think Osprey Sonata could be 
Uh, oh, you stole my answer. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, because I don't think that was your answer before. That's the answer I kind of gave to you. Is that Russell did saying, I kind of yeah, did you, I kind of le- lean you t- to thinking that way? Yeah, you planted those seeds in my head. Ah, uh, Inception. <laughs> you know, um, I I think the reason I kind of feel that way is just uh, two guys that have never been to the final. They both kind of feel like possible finalists going against one another, and they both would be fresh matchups potentially for Naito in the Dome. And I've got a feeling – this is just my personal feeling. I don't think Naito's dropping that belt in the Dome this year. I really don't. Um, And because I don't feel that way, I think either one of these guys would be a great person for him to defend against, especially potentially Osprey. The one thing that throws off the Osprey prediction for me is the fact that he is the Rev Pro champion. But if he's going to lose anyways, then that kind of nullifies my doubts about it. So that's sort of why I'm feeling that way. Um, I mean, why why are you kind of leaning that way? Well, I just think I'm just not as confident as Okada because on my bracket I had Okada Sonata final. Um, so I definitely think Sonata is going to be the guy that. that Gets through that B block. I feel like Kenta is going to beat Naito night last night and spoil him, and then I think Sonata is going to overcome and beat Evil. Um, that's the scenario I'm seeing. So I, I'm I'm pretty locked in on Sonata right now, but the A block's the one where I'm kind of up in the air. And just with, with the way they're going for Okada right now, I'm not sure if he's going to. I mean, he easily could rattle off you know six or seven wins the rest of the rest of the tournament here and get to the finals. But I feel like with Osprey kind of surging the way he's at right now, I think that. That could be a, a potential matchup. And like you mentioned, Naito um, Osprey is a fresh matchup. Haven't wrestled each other yet, and that would be a fresh dome main event. Here's some other scenarios I kind of see being likely possibilities. Okada against Evil I think is very possible. I think Okada against um, – or I'm sorry. I think Jay White against Evil is an outside possibility. Um Jay White Sonata is more likely, I would say. Um, but the thing that just feels the coolest, freshest, and most exciting to me is what we talked about is um, Abush, or I'm sorry, uh, Osprey and Sonata. You know, um, I think that's something that would raise the stock of both guys. I think in Japan, Sonata is maybe the bigger star, but. Osprey's not too far off, and I think he needs a big name to if if he, hypothetically if they go with him as a challenger for the title, that's a great guy to do it against, and that's someone who can both those guys can have a really 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 great match against one another um, on a on a big stage like that. Yeah, I think that might be it. The, well, and then the other thing too that we're all kind of forgetting, and I think there's an outside chance of it. I still think Naito could win this thing. Yeah, I'm th- yeah, we talked about that on the preview show with Sam. So, like, yeah, I mean, what better way than to kind of, you know, really establish Naito and give him something, something special and being not only the first double champion, but the first, you know, champion to win the G1. At this point, until they give me a reason to think otherwise, I am leaning personally to Sonata and Osprey, And I think it, I don't think it's the choice that a lot of other people are making, but, like, for me, just my, like, meticulous mind it makes a lot of booking sense to do it that way yeah but this this tournament's been great because it's so hard to predict i listen to so many people that i respect 
who I know know a lot about New Japan, and they all have different answers. None of them have the same answer, and that's very unusual for a G1. Um, and so, like, opinions are all over the place at this point. It's very exciting, unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. Um, next question from MJ Does PR. He said, Fuck, Mary, kill Shingo versus Osprey, Ishii versus Ibushi, Tana versus Naito. <laughs> EMJ does PR. Played, why, why would you do this to us? I've never played Fuck, Mary Kill with uh, wrestling matches. <laughs> so um, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? You go first because I, I, I don't know how I'm answering here. Okay. Let me. Okay. Here's the deal. Shingo Osprey is. Okay. I've got good reasoning for all of this. Shingo Osprey is just the wildest, like, craziest, like, spot-fest-style match that you could possibly have. And you can't expect to build a relationship or a life off of that sort of (laughs) wild match. I mean, it's just too much hot. It's just too much passion. It's, like, it shortens careers. And so for that reason, because it's so good... It's so good, but it's not something that you can like really build build a future off of. I gotta say, fuck. Okay, you, you gotta fuck that match. You you just have to. Um, and then after that, when you look at Ibushi Ishii, as incredible as their series of matches are, long term, I mean, that's not going to be good for the health of either of those guys. I mean, because I love them, I've got to kill that match because. Their their long term health is dependent on this match not happening as much in the future. So the same way Meltzer gave this match less of a star rating the first time it happened, or you know the last time it happened two years ago, I gotta kill that match. And then as far as Mary, I gotta marry Tana Naito. I mean, would I say it's my favorite of all those three matches? No, I wouldn't. Would I say it's the best? No, I wouldn't. But it's tried and true. It's proven. It's psychology it's something that these guys even in their old age can continue to do and you want to build a life off of that kind of style of psychology and wrestling match and so this is the kind of thing that you can build a future off of and so for that reason i've got to marry tana naito easily this isn't even a hard question at all you thought you threw us some curveball this is easy yeah i mean you make great points and then I think I have to go that way too. I mean, also Otana and Naito, you got the consistency. They're, you know, very well experienced. That they've, you know, been around the world. They they know how to to, to treat their their partner. Uh, yeah, it, it it it's that comfort sort of relationship. You don't want to fuck Tana Naito. Come on. <laughs> you want you want sweet love with uh. Yeah. Tana. But Osprey and, and Shingo, they can fucking get it. <laughs> Oh, so moving on to the next question uh, from our boy Ricky in Scotland from the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show right here on this network. He says, has anything really surprised either of you yet? Yeah, I like Yoshihashi now, Ricky. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, there's been a couple surprises. I mean, I was surprised um, that Goto beat Sonata. I was surprised Saber beat Evil. Um, I was surprised. Oh, she be uh, Okada. Uh, I, I, I well, I predicted that one, so I wasn't surprised on that one. I was surprised. Man, I was surprised by it. I was surprised on um, 
Michael being Tanahashi's because I worked myself into a shoot on that one. Yeah, there's been there's been quite a few upsets and surprising stuff. Um, Yano being Tanahashi was a surprise for me. Suzuki beating, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Taichi beating Suzuki was a surprise for me. Yeah, some awesome stuff. As far as performances, though, I mean, I think the guys who are overachieving in their blocks, I think Taichi's overachieving in the A block, and then in the B block, I think the guy who's overachieving is is Yoshihashi. Maybe Evil too. Honestly, I mean, you can't count him out. He's had two really good matches, which are completely not indicative of what his 2020 has looked like. Right. Yeah. I mean, if evil was wrestling this way before, I think we had a little bit of a different story. I mean, I still would like have all the same reasons, but I'd have less strength to my argument. Right. Uh, next question here from Kevin Crawford. He says, who have had the best and worst performances of the tournament thus far? Thoughts on Yoshihashi delivering a four star showing against evil. Where did that come from? Hey, <laughs> um, best performance. I mean, I've still got to go Ishii personally. Um, I'm not saying it's going to last that way because he's got so many guys hot on his trail, especially in the A block. Um, but yeah, I think he's the top for me. The worst guys, Yujiro by far. Yeah, this is an easy question. Yeah, definitely Ishii at the top, Yujiro at the bottom giving everybody their worst match, and it's probably going to continue that way. Um, and then, yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm going the full four on Yoshihashi Evil, but, man, I mean, Kevin Crawford, swaying me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kevin from DC says, I'm writing, after, writing this after day four of the G1, so I might be missing a performance or two from Kobe, but what superstars are doing better than you expected performance-wise rather than in the standings? For me... Yoshihashi is a clear standout, almost as if winning the Never Trios title has given him a renewed sense of confidence. I'm happy for him. Also, Toriyano continues to be one of the most creative and hilarious wrestlers in the world. No joke. Who are your standouts? Yeah, so, I mean, we've kind of touched on people who we felt kind of like over-delivered, over-performed with Yoshihashi and Evil and Taichi. I mean, as far as standouts, like we mentioned, I mean, in the A block, Tomohiro Ishii, um, Top of that, killing it, Shingo Takagi, uh, Will Ospreay, or you know some of the top performers in that block, in the B block, um, Saber, um, Tanahashi, Naito have been kind of the top there, kind of the standouts right now. Yeah, I mean, I would, I'd pretty much agree. I mean, there's quite a few people. I mean, the standouts in the A block are easily ECE, Shingo. Osprey, Abushi, um, and then I think Taichi's not too far off, honestly, from that. Um, really, I mean, we'll, we'll see, but I I think he's the overachiever at least in that block. And then in the B block, like your standout guys are probably Naito and Zack Saber. There's only been two nights, so it's hard to really say. I mean. Tanahashi had a great match, and I, I do think Yoshihashi and Evil are your standout or your like overachiever standout guys. Yeah. All right, so now it's time to uh, move on to our previews for nights six, seven, eight, and nine that are coming up this week. So starting with night six, we back the B block on September 29th, which is 
uh, tomorrow by the time you'll be listening to us. It'll be, it'll be Tuesday, so we're recording on Monday night. So Tuesday morning, uh, September 29th, we'll have night six opening up with Gabriel Kidd and Yuya Mora. You got on that one? Uh, at this point, I, I'm just going to you Yuya is probably going to get his win back. Yeah, go with you Mora there. Then we got Sonata and Yoshihashi. I've got to go Sonata. Yeah, at this point, Sonata needs to kind of get some wins and surge back here, so I'm going to Sonata as well. Then we got Kenta and Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, interest. Oh, that that one's gonna be good. Um, I gotta go, Kenta. I think he needs to get another win in the column. Um, kind of pick things back up. And unfortunately, uh, I think he's gonna beat Zack Sabre. Yeah, I think Kenta's going to win here as well. Like we mentioned, that that match with Naito on the last night, it's going to be an important match. So he definitely needs to get as many wins as possible going into that last night. Mm-hmm. Then we got Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Juice Robinson. I'm going to go Tanahashi on this one. Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time seeing the ace go 0-3 in the tournament. Uh, I mean, Juice has been on fire and can eat a loss right now. So go ace. After that, we got Toru Yano, Tor, Toru Yano and Evil. Um, I'm just going to assume Evil gets the big win here. Yeah, I mean, I would be very surprised for you know Yano to go three straight here and go 6-0. and oh. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Evil using a Togo to out again uh, Yano here. Uh, the main event of night six, we've got... Goto against Naito with Naito stirring up some controversy calling Goto a jag. Yeah. <laughs> Just a guy in the uh Matt or in, you know in his interview on uh NJPW World. But um or NJPW 1972. But uh these guys in all truthfulness usually have very good matches against one another. Um I'm expecting Naito to get the win here though. Uh I'm going to call upset alert here. I'm going to go with Hiroki Goto here. Just because Naito seems uh, so overly confident here, and, and I feel like Goto's a guy that you could do a a, a fall defense with for the titles, um, and it, it'd be a good match, and it'd be an easy defense for Naito. Well, it's not the worst uh, judgment in the world. I mean, if we were looking at guys that he might have a fall defense against, Tanahashi and Zack Sabre both kind of made sense. And they're, they've both been bested by Naito at this point. And you look at the rest of the field, you have very few people that that could be true of. So Goto's not a bad choice. Um, you might even convince me to go with you, but I'm just I'm going to stay safe and predict Naito. But uh, next week, you'll probably be right. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, night seven on September 30th, we got Yota Suji and Yuyomura. Um, I think Suji will pick up the win here. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who won in their last match, but yeah, I'll probably just gonna go go with Suji here. It, it was Suji, but I'm I don't know. It's it's all gonna bounce itself out when it's done, said and done. Yeah. After that, we got Suzuki against Yujiro. I'm going Suzuki. Yeah, hands down, ain't no way Yujiro's beating Suzuki. After that, we got Ibushi and Cobb. I'm gonna go Ibushi. Yeah, I think Ibushi makes the most sense here. Um, yeah. Um, Okada against Taichi. I'm definitely taking Rainmaker. You never know, man. The Taichi might might pull up pull out one here, but you know I definitely think Okada. 
I don't see him finishing towards it, the middle or the bottom. So I definitely think he's he's gonna need some wins. So yeah, I'll go Okada beating Tai Chi. This is one I feel very confident about. I think that Tai Chi's little three no run is to set up Okada beating him. So I I would I would literally put money on it, like a lot of money on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how confident I am, and I don't even gamble. Um, after that semi-main event, Will Ospreay and Jay White. Last time we saw these two in singles action was at the anniversary show. What was that last year? Was it last year? Or was it two years ago? It was last year, last man. Year. Yeah, man, time man. is flying by. In, in what was a really underrated, great match, and Will Ospreay cut an incredible promo about Jay White being obsessed with him and not being up to his level and how he's going to carry Jay White to the level of greatness that Osprey is at. <laughs> and then once, once he takes him up to that level, he's going to drop him with his uh, finisher and pick up the one, two, three here. Uh, last time these two guys fought, Jay White was champion and Jay White picked up the win at the anniversary show. Uh, what do we think is happening here? I'm going to go with Osprey here, especially with the way like Jay White has been kind of overly confident with his match with Osprey. Even before the tournament happened, he was kind of, you know, Pretty much cutting promos on Osprey and talking about how you know how dumb he is and you know why should we be, be impressed that he's gained some muscle mass and really talking down to Osprey. So I feel like Osprey's gonna kind of get the win here. I I'm gonna ride with you. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Jay White picks up. You know what? And I'll say this the whole tournament. I'm not. I won't be surprised if Jay White beats anybody in the block. But uh, your reasoning makes sense. So that would even some things out. That would be a big tiebreaker too. If at the end of the tour, because the Okada Osprey match is very important, and if Jay White holds tiebreakers over both of them, that's like, mm, you know. So I'm gonna assume I'm gonna ride with you. Will Osprey beats Jay White, and then um, our main event, Tomohiro Ishii versus Shingo Takagi, a uh, rematch of the fight of the year last year from the G1. Yeah, this should be an epic main event. And I believe this show is in Cork and Hall, so this should be an overall kind of great environment, especially for this type of main event. Um, I'm going to go with Ishii winning here. Ishii hasn't picked up a win yet. He's already lost to Shingo, I believe, twice this year. So I think he's going to get a win back over Shingo and finally get some points on the board here. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter one way or the other, but uh, it's a main event. Shingo's coming off of... You know, three was it three losses? Uh, he's he lost two and then he beat Osprey, so he's one and two. No, I said Ishii. Oh, Ishii, yeah, Ishii's yeah, three losses. Yeah, so I feel like him picking up a big win. What this is in Corkin? Yeah, yeah. Let's go. And also, Ishii lost his title to Shingo earlier in the year, so he needs to pick that win up. He needs to get some points on the board. It'll be a big moment for him. Probably one of the biggest moments for him in the G1. So let's give him the feel-good moment. I've got Ishii winning here, too. Nice. So that takes us now to night eight on October 1st. We've got Gabriel Kidd versus Yota Suji. Um, Going to go Suji with this one, getting the win back on from Kidd earlier on in the tournament. Yeah, I'll just agree with you because it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> then we got uh, uh, Toriyano versus uh, Juice Robinson. I got Juice. Yeah, probably Juice makes the most sense here. Goto against Zack Sabre Jr. is the next match of the night. I think I'm going Zack. Um, I'm going to go with 
Goto here again just because I feel like if he's going to, you know, be a fall challenger here, I think he needs to look a little bit stronger and get some points here, finish closer to the top of the block. So I'm going to go with Goto getting the, the win over Sabre here. Well, I think he's going to finish towards the end of the block, but I mean, you got Goto beating Sonata and then hypothetically Naito and then Zack Sabre. That's really strong. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, Zach's going to tap him out. This bitch ass. <laughs> <laughs> then we have uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Yoshihashi. Oh, let's go ace. Yes, go. Wait, hold on. Would I put Yoshi, Yoshihashi at what? Like, oh, oh and four? four? Yeah. Or 0 oh and 3? No, that would be, that'd be it, 0 and 4. Because if he loses to no. Sonata, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be 4. That would be 3. And then if he loses to Tanahashi, that would be 0 and 4. Bro, they better not have Yoshihashi <laughs> beat. Listen, Yoshihashi should not be beating Sonata or Tanahashi. So I stand by my predictions. And if, if Gato books him <laughs> to beat either of these two guys, then... New Japan is over. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going with Tanahashi. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But uh, we got Kenta and Evil in a very interesting interpromotional match. First time we've seen Kenta and Evil share a ring since Evil joined the Bullet Club. Right, yeah. Kind of first meeting. We haven't really seen any on-screen interactions with Evil and the returning Bullet Club members. So... Going to be their kind of their first interaction, kind of first appearance together, and it's going to be facing each, against each other. So it's going to be very interesting here. The real interesting thing is going to be Dick Togo versus Gate or versus. Uh, oh, there is no heater. My bad. Yeah, no, nobody's uh, coming out for Kenta. I've got evil going over here. I think. Yeah, I think I'll go evil because. That's a loss that Kenta can take, and you know, Evil's kind of been on up upward trajectory kayfabe wise, so I don't think he would want to challenge for the briefcase. So, yeah, I'll go Evil. After that, we have Naito against Sonata. Um, I'm just I'm gonna go Sonata, man. Mm. I mean, I don't really have a good kayfabe reason for it, and it's probably wrong. Probably what's gonna happen is Goto is probably gonna win, and you know, the night before, and then Naito will probably beat Sonata, but uh, I don't know. Let's 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 give one to Sonata, man. He's been eating a lot of losses. He probably needs this. Yeah, he needs to rack some points up, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Sonata over Naito as well. Alright. So let's get to the next night. Yeah, so our final night here, night nine, which will be next Monday, October 5th. Open up with Gabriel Kidd and Yuya Mora. I guess kid. I don't know. I was gonna, I'll, I'll go Yuromora. <laughs> I, I I can't keep track of that C block. All I know is it's gonna be even going down the stretch. That's my only prediction. Yeah. Shingo against Yujiro. I swear to God, it better <laughs> be Shingo. Yes, yeah, so this hands down needs to be Shingo. Then At we... this point, like Yujiro can only beat like, in my opinion, he can beat Jeff Cobb and. That's it. That's the only re- really acceptable. Maybe maybe Ishii, but those are the only real acceptable answers. Yeah. So next up, I we, don't even I don't even consider him to be a qualified spoiler anymore. Yeah, he's just he's just he's just a guy that's there. He's just a pin eater. If he spoils <laughs> someone, I'm gonna be pissed. <laughs> uh, so third match of the evening, we got Jeff Cobb or Switchblade Jay White. I'm gonna go Jay White, but Cobb. Could beat Jay White. 
Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go Cobb here. You know, Jay's he's, he's got to eat some losses here. So remember last year they were in the same block, and we kind of liked this match. And like Dave Meltzer gave it like an egregiously bad rating. Like he went like two stars on it or something shitty like that, or like one and a half. Yeah, something ridiculous. Yeah, it was something he hated the match, and I was like, I thought it was pretty okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. After that, we got Okada Suzuki, and interesting, they are third from the top, so we're not probably getting that epic 30-minute Okada Suzuki match. Also, Okada's tapping everybody out. I'm like, is Okada going to fucking tap out Suzuki? This is a weird one to call, bro. Not even just from point totals, just from like where they're, who they are. I mean, do you think they could do a, a ref stoppage? Suzuki doesn't tap. He, he passes out. Uh, that's a possibility. I'm going to go with Okada because he needs the points, but uh, I don't really know. I mean, he's not hitting the Rainmaker, and I can't see Su- Suzuki tapping. And this is the first match that he's like, screw it, I'm going back to the Rainmaker. Okada's about to small package this, man. <laughs> <laughs> So in our semi-main event, we have the Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii against Tai Chi. I've seen these guys. Tai Chi, come get this ass kicking and (laughs) take this L. We've seen these guys have some good matches in the past. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Ishii here. Main event: Kota Ibushi versus Will Ospreay. They had a two-match series last year. Both matches highly heralded as some of the best matches of the year. This one is very. It's kind of funny because. We saw these matches last year. They're not even really as anticipated as all the other matches in the uh, tournament. But Ibushi Osprey is one of the best G1 matches of the year last year. And I, I won't be surprised if it ends up being that way this year. Yeah, especially with these guys in the main event. Yeah, these guys are going to absolutely kill it. Um, I'm going to go with the goal. Uh, no, I'm going, I'm, go- I'm going Golden Star. Uh, hold on, let's see. I don't know why. I just am. I'm just calling it. Abushi beats Osprey. Uh, I'm gonna Golden go. Star. I'm going with Osprey here. All right, that's fair. Uh, this A block night next Monday looks fantastic. I mean, all these A block nights look so awesome. <laughs> so that wraps up our G1 coverage from this week. Uh, real quick, we just got to talk about NJPW Strong, the Lions Break Crown Tournament. Happened. Uh, we had Logan Regal defeating the DKC, Clark Connors defeating Jordan Clearwater, Dane Limelight defeating Barrett Brown, Blake Christian defeating Adrian Quest. Any, yeah, that any, happened. <laughs> any thoughts on online the break crown? I prefer the C block, sir. <laughs> um, I, I hope the winner of the C block fights the winner of New Japan Strong, and then the winner of the C block fucks him up and beats him. <laughs> Uh, uh, I don't know. I think it. I think it's going to come down to Clark Connors against like Danny Limelight, and Danny Limelight probably beats him. But like honestly, these guys are all cool. They're good workers. But there's no one here that I can see any real star potential in, except for Clark Connors personally. Not even just from a New Japan bias, just from a look at him standpoint. Right. And and it's kind of what we mentioned to you last week with this tournament. I feel like they definitely needed to take the pure. Uh, tournament approach, get some vignettes and give some reasons to care behind these guys instead of these guys just kind of coming out, having matches. There's no real prize. They, they're they going to get a quote-unquote opportunity 
um, to break through. Don't know what the heck that means. So don't know what they're really this, fighting this for. This was here. about quantity, Jeremy. It wasn't about. I don't want to misspeak and be like, oh, it wasn't good because it was kind of good. It's not that it wasn't quality, but when you like, if you look at what they're doing on ROH, they're giving you two matches that are really good with a lot of backstory, so you can get invested here. It's about the quantity. Like even Kevin Kelly was like. We're going to do all four matches in one episode. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I had no reason to be invested in any of them. And then it happened. And then, I mean, the one thing I will say, I was surprised that Blake Christian beat Adrian Quest, even though Blake Christian kind of has that GCW like name. Mm-hmm. Adrian Quest, I think, is better than him at this point, personally. Um, and I was a little surprised to see Logan Regal beat the DKC because he's a guy that like Shibata likes. But other than that, everything else pretty much played out the way I thought it would. Yep. So next week we have Logan Regal versus Clark Connors, Danny Limelight versus Blake Christian, and then we have a main event of David Finley, Jeff Cobb, Rocky Romero, and Mysterioso versus the Bull Club team of Kenta Hikaleo, Chase Owens, and Switchblade Jay White. Wait, well, wait. How is that happening? Because they're in Japan right now, and this is happening in America. This is crazy. Um, you know, they they got Harold May to get the, the special jet. <laughs> They're gonna fly fly over. You know, red eye, quick flight from Japan over back to California, and then they're gonna fly right back over to be back on Monday uh, for G one. Nice. Um, so now we gotta move into the news real quick here. Um, so obviously, this past week we had the passing of Joe Laurinaitis. Better known to all wrestling fans as Road Warrior Animal, uh, passed away at the age of 60. Um, had some questions here on Animal. Uh, first one, Ready User Viking Pain. Thoughts on Animal and the Road Warriors in general. They also spent some time in Japan. Any great matches in their Japanese run that we should check out? Oh, man. Uh, Jeremy, would you like to discuss the Road Warriors and Animal first? Yeah, I can go first. Um, Road Warriors are honestly there are that's like my first memories of watching wrestling. Like my earliest memories is watching um, Hawk and Animal. I can't remember who they were against, but I remember vividly that the first like one of my first memories was seeing the Road Warriors, and they were a tag team that I've always you know loved growing up as a kid. I thought they were awesome with, with the spike uh, shoulder pads and the face paint and. Um, they're just kind of this bruiser um, tag team. Obviously, I probably missed um, a, their their true peak. I mean, most of the stuff that I saw with them uh, growing up was probably a lot of their WWF stuff, um, some of their WCW stuff. And so I know they did a lot of great stuff, um, NWA, and obviously in, in Japan, some other places. Uh, but obviously a, a very in, influential tag team. I mean, over the years, we've seen so many kind of, you know, muscle-bound tag teams that have tried to copy the look and the aura and the, the match style of the Road Warriors, Legion of Doom, whatever you want to call them, and have not succeeded. Um, you know, I think they are going to go down in history as one of, you know, the best tag teams of all time. Yeah, um, totally agree with you there. For me personally, and this is something, I mean, we could spend a whole podcast on it for me personally. Um, I love the Road Warriors. Um, as a young child, I had a proclivity 
like a lot of other wrestling fans towards the muscle bound um, ass kickers who just demolished people. I mean, growing up, my favorite wrestlers were like, you know, the Road Warriors and the Ultimate Warrior and Goldberg and people like that, people who just fuck up people. And they, like, they, it wasn't really about work rate. It was about them coming in, being better than everybody else. And showing you because they were like they had that Mike Tyke, Mike Tyson sort of um, mystique about them. Um, over the years, uh, as I've kind of grown as a wrestling fan and in my knowledge of the business and just studying tape, things of that nature, um, you kind you kind you kind of come to find out that like the Road Warriors, like if you were alive during the time of me and Jeremy you know, as fans who are only like able to watch cable TV, you kind of only saw these guys on WCW and WWF during their two big runs in the nineties and, you know, early nineties to late nineties. But, um, I grew up watching a lot of tape of some of the like Starcades. So like my earliest wrestling memories were like them against the midnight express in the scaffold match where Jim Cornette broke his hip or whatever. Um, like I watched that match all the time and it's a terrible match. <laughs> like it's not good at all. But I just remember these these guys that were like menacing. I remember watching the original War Games match and the two guys that like impressed me the most were Hawk and Animal. Like when they'd come in and the the horsemen would feed for them. And then as you grow up and you and like I've been able to see other tapes, you see their stuff when they're in Puerto Rico, you see their stuff when they're in Japan, you see their stuff you know, in Georgia and in Minnesota and in the Carolinas and just literally the most accomplished tag team in the history of the sport, the biggest drawing act in the history of the sport. When you talk about the greatest tag teams of all time, you can't actually have a true conversation about that without considering the road warriors. And it's funny because they weren't the greatest workers that ever lived. Uh, it's kind of a rib <laughs> <laughs> over the past few years. Every time, like we talk about like the young bucks or other like great tag teams. Uh, my friends, you know, Jeremy and rich, they always talk about like better than know, the road warriors. <laughs> <laughs> they always talk about how people are better than the road warriors because in ring, a lot of tag teams, I would say most tag teams in a certain sense are better than the road warriors. And that is a factual statement. But the thing about that is like, you'd have to say the same thing about Goldberg, but there's no denying that he's one of the biggest stars that has ever existed, at least in the nineties. Um, and you know, in a certain cachet of wrestling fans. And that's what it was like for them. They were, sort of one of the very last traveling acts in wrestling. Um, you know, they, they weren't guys that you intended to build a company around and keep around forever. They were like Andre the Giant. There the, were these wonders who would show up, fuck everybody up, beat everybody, and then get beat. They were sort of like Vader in that sense. And um, they made money. I mean, they headlined everywhere in the world. They won everything every single championship in every single company. Um, the road warrior pop was a real thing that people really, you know, uh, gravitated to. It's, there's a reason it's still called the road warrior pop to this day. Um, deeply saddened to hear about road warrior animals passing. Uh, 
they did that uh, Vice um, Dark Side of the Ring just very recently talking about the Road Warriors and like it's very appropriate. At the time when I watched it, I was like, I don't know why they're doing this because it wasn't, even though the stuff with Hawk was kind of like, you know, a cautionary tale, it wasn't like the, the work. I mean, he sort of had a redemption at the end and it was sort of like, I, I don't know why they're making this. But now with both of those guys being passed at this point, the a, the show was really great. And then B, it seems more appropriate. I mean, it, it took people by surprise. I don't think anybody was expecting for uh, Joe Laurinaitis to pass that way. Um, deeply saddened. Some of my favorite wrestling moments and, and memories are going to be, you know, watching the Legion of doom, the road warriors. Uh, I'm, I mean, you know, people could sit around and ask me for all their great matches that they ever had. You're going to be hard-pressed to find very many, just like you'd be hard-pressed to find very many great Warrior or Goldberg matches. But that wasn't really the point. It was about the entrance, the look, the style, the violence, because they fucked people up for real all the time. <laughs> and they were awesome, man. They were the best. And, you know, the uh, the phrase, you know, Road Warrior pop was, you know, coined from them. And any time nowadays somebody gets a huge monstrous pop, you call it the Road Warrior pop because they would just get insane crowd reactions from um, the different territories they were in. As far as Japanese matches, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is the very famous Super World of Sport match with uh, Tenryu and Hogan against them. That might even be one of my top favorite Road Warrior matches ever. Um, That's one that really sticks out in my mind um they didn't have a lot of work in new japan but there when they uh joined up with the power warrior which was um uh sasuke they had a match where it was the power warriors slash road warriors so it was the three of them against uh the steiner brothers and scott norton mm. um that's a pretty good match. I think that's on world. There's also a pretty famous match where it's the two of them against Muta and Sting from 96. That's uh, it's okay. It's pretty good. Um, most of their Japanese work is in all Japan. The, the, the match with the funk brothers in 85 is definitely worth checking out. That's probably one of their best match that actually that is their best Japanese wrestling match. Um, they also had really good matches with uh, Tenryu and Jumbo from the same year, 85. They also had a really good match with uh, Ricky Choshu and Yoshiaki Yatsu from the same year. So uh, if you want to check some stuff out, the thing, again, keep in mind, a lot of these matches are short. A lot of these matches are high impact. Um, and it's Japan, so a lot of them ended in the 80s slash 90s. A lot of them ended up with Shimaz finishes. Yeah, and um, you know we had a similar question from Dan um, asking for matches, uh, so you answered that. But uh, speaking of the Smosh finish, a uh, question from Kevin from DC. Uh, he says, with the death of an Animal, I wanted to ask about one of the more famous matches he ever had in Japan, Road Warriors vs. Hogan and Tenryu from SWS slash WF WrestleFest, March 30th, 1991. I actually just watched it. It's not as bad since Hogan's got his Japan boots on. My question to tie it back to NJPW is about the finish. Obviously, the countout was a common occurrence in tag matches to preserve 
everyone's star power and teams like the Road Warriors and the Steiners had many great matches against Japan's stars that relied on the finish. My question is, when do you think the Japanese fans started calling bullshit on the countout and wrestlers use them less and less? I'm definitely glad they're not used as much today unless it's done well, done well like Saber Fale from last year. Okay, great question. One thing I'd like to point out that's really great from that Super World of Sport match, um, there's a very famous image, you can find it online, where uh, Hawk and Animal are both gorilla press slamming Tenryu and Hogan at the exact same time, and then they both drop them at the same time, which is like, it doesn't sound like anything crazy now, but in 1991, the idea of anyone gorilla press slamming Hulk Hogan or Genriku Tenryu... And then to see the Road Warriors be the guys who were doing it simultaneously in Japan, where like Tenry and Hogan are like, I mean, it was a dream match. It's <laughs> <This is> crazy. <laughs> but, anyways, um, that match, the, I mean, the reason that match ended in a count out finish, if I recall, it's a count out. I could be wrong. But, I mean, keep in mind, it's supposed to be sports centric. So a count out is still like a real loss. And part of the reason why they did that sort of booking was because. Tenry and Hogan were booked down the line to have a big series of money matches against one another. And so they did the tag match against the Road Warriors to set up the rift between the two of them so they could have a series of matches against each other. And they had to lose, but both of them were like the the A and B side of that equation. So neither one of them could take a clean loss. So they had to have some plausible deniability. So it kind of made sense from the booking for that reason. Um, just the, all the, the names and egos involved there. But um, as far as like once fuck finishes started stopping in Japan, it really comes down to UWFI. Um, back in the old days, and this is the way the business was everywhere, you had big stars, unless like there was, I mean, in big matches for the most part, you had double countouts, double DQs, time limit draws, no contests. This stuff happened all the time. I mean, I'm a big fan of pre-90s wrestling, and I watch a lot of it, and you saw this all the time. But that never happened in UWFI or UWF. When when they started doing the shoot stuff, that's when New Japan and All Japan both were like, oh, we can't just be doing matches where guys – don't win or lose clean. And Baba was kind of the one to make the call. He saw what they were doing at UWF. He's like, all right, we're going to straight finishes. It was like 80, I don't know, 88, 89 during the second iteration of UWF when that started happening. And then New Japan kind of followed suit. And yeah, that was sort of the thing. UWF really influenced and revolutionized, you know, the booking style of the major wrestling promotions in Japan. Nice. Uh, so a few other last news items here. So our friends over at the Super J Cast have reported that the um, November December tour will be a combination of the World Tag League and Best of Super Juniors. Also, we know World Tag League usually happens in November and December. Best of Super Junior usually happens in May and June. We didn't report this, and I actually hadn't even heard the reports that they said that. But this this is not something that I like sort of speculated would be happening a week or two ago. You did, yeah. So it kind of makes sense. It's not even like, I'll, I'll be honest, we had no inside scoop here. We did not report this. We had no inkling. 
but the booking of the company kind of dictates that they probably need a Super Juniors going into the Tokyo Dome. And the World Tag League is also important for the Tokyo Dome, so it kind of makes sense. Also, I'll tell you right now, this sounds like hell. I'm not excited. I'm excited about the idea of a of a uh, of a ju- Super Juniors, but I'm not excited about a Super Juniors slash Tag League unless it's very condensed. Because this sounds that sounds like my life is gonna right after the G1. I I don't want that, bro. <laughs> yeah, it sounds mean, horrible. Yeah, we got a, a little bit of light, lighter schedule with the Power Struggle Tour, and then you know, jump into a, a double uh, tournament tour like that sounds crazy. Um, so yeah, we'll yeah. see what happens there. Uh, the free match of the week is from G1 Climax 29 from the A Block, Sonata versus Kota Ibushi from Day 7. Does that mean anything to you? Because it kind of means, I don't know, it kind of makes me feel like maybe that's telling me that Sonata's like about to be on the rise. Right. Who knows? Maybe that's the finals of Kota Ibushi Sonata. <laughs> maybe. And then... Uh, <laughs> There was a report, uh, the news broke this week, uh, official announcement, the IWGP US champion slash AW world champion, John Moxley, will be fighting Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson at Bloodsport on October 11th for the collective in Indiana. Yep. So, you know, John Moxley was, this is like the third attempt of getting him on a Bloodsport show. Um, You know, first time it was injury, then it was COVID. So now he's finally gonna be on Bloodsport. Uh, this time he's taking on Dirty Daddy though, and not um, Josh Barnett. This will be stylistically, this match will be much better. Honestly, um, I was intrigued about Josh Barnett, but like Dirty Daddy can have a good match with John Moxley, and I don't know that Josh Barnett in this style could have carried John to actually. I saw I saw that match with John in the empty arena against. Uh, What's his name? Uh, what's the dude? Jack Swagger. What's his name? Oh, Hager. Yeah, that Jack Hag- that Jake Hager match that people praised that wasn't really all that good. And that, that told me everything I need to know about John Moxley fighting like true grappling <laughs> <laughs> artists. Uh, Chris Dick- not to say Chris Dickinson can't grapple, but every single blood sport showing is vicious and violent and hard hitting. And I, I can't wait to see this. I'm going to definitely. I'm going to order this. That's how excited I am for it. Yeah, should be a solid show. So uh, kind of running long on time here. Gonna, I think we should uh, punt these uh, off-topic questions to next week, and let's jump to the recommended match of the week and uh, close this bad boy out. You know, we can, but we've only got like two or three questions. I think we can bump them real quick. How far are we on time? Uh, we're like three hours. Bro, let's just hit these real quick. All right, let's do them. So, um, so first from Reddit user underscore stress underscore. I know you guys stick to NJPW, but have you been able to check out the Champions Carnival or N One Victory at all? So much great pure reser lately. We have not. We do not. Unfortunately, uh, heard some okay things about the Carnival. Heard some great things about the N One Victory. The good news is our friends on this network, grown men watch this shit will be covering the N1 victory in its entirety here on the network, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, and they've already started that. They dropped, I believe it was Friday, they dropped the episode talking about N1. So, yeah, make sure you subscribe to the network feed. Get uh, Grown Men Watch This Shit. Uh, Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan will be uh, covering the N1. Uh, next question from Kevin from D.C. I said He said, I meant to ask you this a few weeks ago, but it's still relevant. 
I saw Hiromu and Bushi as a way to keep Hiromu, or, uh, losing the junior tag finals against Suzuki Goon as a way to keep Hiromu from the tag titles. The company always views him in a special manner, and this decision continues that. Compare him to Kazushiko Okada. Other than tournaments, the only belt that, that uh, either of them have ever won in the respective divisions are the top singles belts. Okada with the IWGP heavyweight and Hiromu with the junior. I believe Hiromu will move up to heavyweight someday, but unless he wins the heavyweight belt, I don't see him changing for any other titles, let alone winning them, in order to keep him special in this way. Your thoughts? Pure conjecture, or do I have something here? So he's saying that Hiromu has only won the junior belt. Haven't, haven't Hiromu and Bushi been junior tag team champions? Yes. Um, so, I mean... That's a little hole in his his thought right there, but um, I, I think keeping off attack of titles for right now is kind of playing into the best of Super Junior and kind of what you were pointing out too of um, them building something to Desperado and Hiromu, and I think eating those two losses is going to build up a big match for those guys. We were wrong. He's never held the junior title for some reason. I've always believed that they held the junior uh, tag team titles. He has not. Oh, that's so weird. For some reason, yeah, I feel like he's he has held those titles before. I guess because nope. they just they're always in junior tag league and have been in multiple matches against Suzuki Goon and Rapungi 3K. I just felt at some point they had to have those belts. Kevin from DC is smarter than us. Yeah. I'll tell you, uh, once he moves up to heavyweight, I don't see. I mean, maybe they do see him that special, and maybe they do plan to give give him Okada treatment. I personally don't think they ever give him Okada treatment. I think they only ever give that kind of treatment to say Okada. So if he ever does quote unquote move up, I could see him holding any number of belts personally, especially given his size. Yeah. Uh, so his last question here says, it seems like you're getting more and more repeat questions over the last several weeks. Take a shot. Every time the young boy says, I feel like we talked slash covered slash answer this question already. Any chance we can parse the questions sent in and get the podcast down to two hours. I need some more time no. to figure out. <laughs> Where I can get the best <laughs> Omaha steaks or find out why everyone hates Steven Singers. Hashtag Talk is Jericho. Uh, Talk is Jericho is okay. I only really listen to it when uh, there are conspiracy theorists talking about the satanic government or why COVID is fake, stuff like that, which is really good. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, there's there's a lot to cover here. We got a lot of opinions and, uh, this is just this the show we do, man. It's three hours, you know. It's once a week, you know. If we did a daily show, it might be a lot shorter, but we don't. We do a weekly show. Yeah, man. That the three hour that main event. That's the, the podcast main event style. That's what we uh, practice here. <laughs> the funny thing is, Kevin from DC, your questions are the questions that we could have hypothetically punted to keep the short shorter, but um, I made it longer for you, man, because I care about you. <laughs> So let's go to the recommended match of the week. Yes. So last week you recommended to me to watch Michael Elgin versus Tomohiro Ishii from the 2015 G1 Climax. This match was freaking incredible. Um, I told you, bro. (laughs) Dude, freaking from the freaking bell, bro. These guys are throwing bombs from the bell. Uh, You got Elgin showing off his strength, you know, pushing like, Pressing Ishii off the cover, his stalling suplex, um, German suplexing Ishii into the turnbuckle pad. 
um, Elgin doing this like spinning senton kind of splash thing off the top. I mean, he was pretty Bro, much. It makes, it makes you want Elgin to come back to New Japan, doesn't it? Yes, he, <laughs> dude. He was freaking eating Ishii up for like the first five minutes of this match. Ishii finally comes back with Big German. Um, great lariats. Um, at one point, Elgin gave a DVD to, to Ishii on the apron. Uh, freaking buckle bombed Ishii into the barricade. Um, the inside, the outside, inside top rope uh, super falcon arrow thing that Elgin did to Ishii. Ishii busting out the air raid crash. Uh, just great back and forth overall. Just a great, incredible match. If you have not seen this matchup yet, if you have not watched this matchup yet, it's a reason why Josh picked it for the recommended match of the week. You need to watch this match. Yeah, I don't fuck around on recommend match of the week, bro. Uh, Elgin, Elgin and Ishii is like, holy shit. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> and uh, I see that you have gone ahead and uh, done this week's match of the week with the very rare, very heralded four-and-a-half-star Yujiro Takahashi match. <laughs> yes, you know, also we have a lot of hate here for Yujiro for good reason. Um, but you know, I, I I always hear about you know how great Udrell used to be back in the day a few years ago. Used to be a great worker, have great matches. Um, so I, I went and I found his highest rated match on Cage Match, highest rated from Uncle Dave, and it's Udrell Takahashi versus Tomohiro Ishii from King of Pro Wrestling 2014 for the Never Open Weight Title. Yeah, uh, I've seen this. It's good. Can't wait to see it. I will tell you though, when we talk about like great worker Yujiro, this isn't great U- worker Yujiro. Great worker Yujiro is like 2009, 2010 ish. <laughs> <laughs> this is Tomohiro Ishii with one of the greatest carry jobs in the history of New Japan. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen this? No, I have not. I haven't watched it yet, but I, I want. Okay. But um, yeah, I thought it, this would be good to watch this week. This is uh, Yujiro Takahashi defending his never open weight title against Tomohiro Ishii. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a weird statement? It is. <laughs> but yeah, man, I can't wait. And uh, what a great show. And uh, we got, what, four more? Yep. We've got uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday. God, can't wait. So, yeah, looking forward to that. So that's going to wrap things up for this week. Next week, we'll be back with more G1 Climax 30 coverage. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. Also follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, go to facebook.com slash social suplex. Also, possibly wrestling square circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling square circle. On Instagram, we are at social suplex. On Reddit, I'm a pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at social suplex.com. You check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have Function Radio, which is by Rich Ladder and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have Grown Men Watching Shit with Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Thursdays, we have the Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. Every other Thursday, we have the Great Match Generator uh, with 
Danny and Beast Mike. On Fridays, we have the 8-Bit Suplex with Josh, number two, and Sandy. And then on Saturday, we close things off with all things elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Go Bolts, Go Bolts, 2020 uh, Stanley Cup champs. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.